Hello and welcome to episode number 278 of the Super Horror Bros podcast. I'm your host Matt and joining me as always is my brother Mike. Hello. How's it going? Pretty excited man, not gonna lie. This is it, the one we've been waiting for for a very long time. Um, it feels long overdue. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's been equally the longest year, but then also seemingly over in a flash, which is a weird combination. Um, certainly when like the big movies have started hitting, it's like, oh yeah, big movie after big movie, and then suddenly the year's over. Um, mm. So, But yeah, we get to finally now celebrate all the amazing things that the genre gave us this year. And it really has been a massive return to form. Um, Obviously, if you've been listening week by week, you would already know that because we've certainly had a, a better time watching movies this year than we did last year. That's for damn sure. Um, and yeah, I think the list oh, yeah. will reflect that. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a massive celebration. Obviously, the main centerpiece, as always, is our top 10 list um, mm-hmm. created by the both of us. Um, and that's going to be awesome. And then obviously, we have our special individual awards that we've given out for the last five years now. Um, which is always fun um and <laughs> it's always a challenge for us anyway yes for sure like yeah we'll, we'll get to that later um and then obviously <laughs> uh some listener picks as well it's always great to hear what the uh, listeners favorite movies are and whether mm-hmm. or not kind of there are trends of you know certain movies that pop up or if it's a, a more sort of mixed across the board um but yeah kicking things off i can't actually remember if we normally do news on this show um but there's only one story and i thought i'll just throw it in here because it's a pretty funny one it's a very quick one (laughs) um and also the fact that we you know won't get to talk about this for a little while but it's really random is it that bruce campbell said he's open to play ash again did he actually say that i don't know i I was just gonna say i don't think that's newsworthy i mean he'll say it at some point (laughs) yeah like they i know he was doing something to do with the game recently but i've just kind of switched off i'm like i'll play that game eventually but like yeah. yeah um but no this is a pretty yeah it does um so yeah this is a pretty cool announcement really um so do you remember that movie scare package that we saw last year um obviously the little shudder kind of anthology movie set in like the video store um it was was a really fun movie um i think it just literally narrowly missed out on our top 10 last year yeah um where it was one of the honorable mentions and it was very unlucky to miss out um well shudder Mm. have announced that they are doing a sequel um which I just thought came completely out of nowhere. I feel like of a lot of the Shudder releases, this one was pretty low-key. I don't remember many people watching it. I think it got a fairly mixed reception. You know, it wasn't stuff like Host and VHS that were like immediately these big hits for Shudder that were kind of like universally well-liked. Um, but I'm certainly glad they're making a sequel because I think it was a really funny mm-hmm. film. Um, and I also, you know, always want to see more anthology movies, of course. Um but yeah, I mean, this kind of came out of nowhere. There's kind of something else I wanted to add about this. But yeah, you, are you are you excited? Do you want to watch another scare package? Yeah, definitely. I think it was a really fun anthology. I think what we we spoke about the wraparound was really fun with it, mm. um, and kind of the whole you know the whole package of scare package. I think as well. I think Shudder, you know, it doesn't surprise me that this gets announced because it's you know I'm starting to get this feel with Shudder that it, that it is trying to build this um you know IP and have mm. have a list of IP you know and we kind of have we have Hell House and we have Creep Show and now we've got Scare Package and and you know when we get Psycho Goreman 2 like <laughs> you know we're going to get them you know trying to kind of create these modern day horror franchises and and yeah Scare Package I think like like you said it it must have only just missed out on our top 10 and um 
was was a, was a pretty all round decent movie. So you know, making more of that and and with these anthologies, it's a, it's another free um, punt with it because you know it's brand new stories. It's it's just, it's a clean slate. So yeah, I'm I'm always up for an anthology movie. Definitely, and I think, like you say, this is a great thing for Shudder because it's a fairly low-budget film, and like you say, you can start to build out these IPs and start to bring in these kind of marquee Shudder things um, that are going to keep keep uh, keep people subscribed throughout the year. Um, but yeah, I think like obviously seeing this and seeing the other stuff that's on Shudder, like it, I I'm stunned that VHS hasn't kind of been announced mm-hmm. already. Maybe they are just kind of figuring things out it's and trying to get you know yeah. they probably want to maybe announce like directors and writers and that sort of thing which is fair enough but like i just think for how much of a hit that movie was it seems like a no-brainer and then obviously the big one i mean i'm gonna make it my mission <laughs> in 2022 to make sure we get a psycho Gorman too um again i know that i'm i say a lot about sequels in general but i think i need to live in a world where i get more psycho Gorman, um you know in any form and yeah i think any sort of film prequel sequel you know tv series i'll literally take anything because in my heart pg is already a franchise um and it needs to be more if it is just one movie um i'll be very sad but i'll still treasure it for the rest of my life so uh yeah i'm sure i'm sure shudder like they know they have to know what they have um but yeah that is it for the news um shall we get into uh the list let's do it let's talk about our top 10 horror movies of 2021 So yeah, obviously before we get into the uh, the list and the honourable mentions, um, I've got some little statistics for you, which is always fun. I love a stat. I love a stat. <laughs> um, so yeah, kind of the, the, the first major stat is obviously how many new horror films we covered for the show uh, this year. And rather surprisingly, and it will make more sense once we dig into it a bit deeper, we did cover um, less films this year than we have in the last three years. Um so kind of the last three years we've done 52 (laughs) we've done 52 movies and then 53 movies back-to-back years the last two years um which is crazy especially considering last year and like (laughs) the the uh you know barren wasteland that was new horror Mm. releases um but hard last year yeah once once we get into the breakdown you'll start to see why 40 is still a very respectable number um so obviously uh, the sort of main thing, the main thing that we look forward to is cinema releases. Um, and that did go up from 2020 uh, from nine last year to 14 this year, um, which I think is pretty great. Obviously, when you consider the fact that our cinemas didn't open until May, um, mm. so you can write off a third of the year. And so like yeah. in eight months, we saw 14 films at the cinema, which is obviously incredible. Um, I think a good average is one a month. Like I don't expect one new cinema horror a month. So like i'll take 12 a year every year so the fact that we beat that without a third of the year is crazy um hopefully that will continue next year um obviously next up we kind of it's weird that i have netflix i guess as a breakdown it's probably something because back you know when we started doing this show it it made more sense kind of netflix now it should really (laughs) be like streaming platforms i guess 
Yeah, well, because the category after that we'll speak to is kind of like other digital services slash mm. Blu-ray. And I think um, I think we, we might have to start breaking Shudder out because yeah. obviously they provide so much and it feels a bit unfair that they don't get broken out and Netflix do. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Netflix... Um, we saw six Netflix films this year, um, which is up from last year, which is four, which, you know, on on the basis <laughs> of guess, it sounds I quite shocking. Yeah. yeah, obviously those numbers are boosted by the Fear Street trilogy, mm. um, but it's still pretty crazy when you think about we only had, you know, on demand for a lot of time last year and we still yeah. only saw four films on Netflix. That's because um, Netflix put out all of their on demand horror movies the week cinemas reopened. Yeah, we talked about it, obviously, like the Fair Street stuff. But yeah, just off the top of my head, like they released Woman in the Window. They released Army of the Dead. Yeah, um, exactly. That's that's five of them. And then I think the other one was uh, that there's someone inside your house. Um, mm. So, yeah, and obviously there was a few Netflix movies that we missed this year because yeah. there was so much in the cinema. Like other oh, movies like Oxygen, think, we would have definitely seen last year. Was it just Woman in the Window, I think, would have came out when we were in like no cinema? I yeah. I think all the others were maybe even woman in the window but like definitely all of the others we were watching cinema horror at that point again yeah but netflix really didn't stop that gap when we didn't have cinema horror no their timing was <laughs> odd to say the least um next up is uh, obviously yeah, digital and blu-ray which is obviously going to be the bulk of it and that is the remaining 20 films um which is down from last year from 27 um so again obviously that makes sense because we were seeing that was basically everything last year um <laughs> Obviously, the next stat is where is why our, our overall <laughs> number is much lower, yeah. um, which is movies seen at Fright Fest. Obviously, last year was mental because we saw 13 movies at Fright Fest at home. I believe we watched 13 movies in. So that was <laughs> what? That was three days. Yeah. And then we did, yeah, like That's two shows, wild. I believe. So, like, <laughs> we only wild. did two shows on 13 films. Um, yeah, and wild. yeah, obviously, we, we did not go for the first time this year. Um, <sighs> Which was sad, um, but obviously, again, we spoke about it at the time. I think, again, theirs is more unfortunate, right? Because they always, you know, Fright Fest is always at the same time, so mm -hmm. it's not their fault if stuff comes out. But, like, we were looking forward to Candyman. There were some other big movies around that time, yeah. and it just didn't make sense, especially because there wasn't anything specific that we were hyped for. Um, you know, a one movie that kind of draws you in, and then you check out the rest of the, the schedule. Um and then obviously outside of films, we did free TV show specials this year, um, which is exactly the same as last year. Um, so, yeah, nothing but consistent. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, yeah, so we did 50 shows <coughs> overall this year, um, which is one down from last year, 51, which, again, kind of makes sense because we did two Fright Fest shows in one week. So other than that, it's pretty much the same consistently. Um and yeah, kind of of those specials, um, we, yeah, we did six ranking Wes Craven specials this year, yeah, we which did. is pretty nice. Um, obviously, I, I think we said that last week that I like to try and get one in at least every two months. And we did that this year, mm -hmm. which is great, even with a lot of big films and big releases. So obviously, depending on next year, what happens, I would like to keep that as a minimum um, and try and get another six <laughs> I, I, in. I think we get six in before March, if I'm being honest, but that's not... <laughs> let's not drag the no, this year no, that's not. yeah that's not I mean, we can maybe talk about that right at the end of the show our thoughts going into yeah. next year um but yeah let's hope that we have to squeeze in the wes craven movies yeah, let's, let's hope um and let's hope that we don't have the net the last 10 done by you know like you say <laughs> april and then Aisha. we're like and then we're like oh, yeah who's on the agenda next looks like we're doing cronenberg movies um but uh <laughs> Yeah, that is pretty much it for some statistics for you. Um, 
obviously we've got to start with the honorable mentions now the movies mm. that aren't officially on our list but still obviously uh hold a place in our hearts um some Want really to... great movies here yeah go ahead what would you like to, to go pick? through these yeah yeah well um, obviously there's there's some here that we've kind of jotted down mm. that we both feel strongly about and then there's a couple that kind of one of us feel pretty strongly about as well yeah um well i guess kind of um where i'd start is is fair street um mm. in, in particular so that the our pick was fair street part one 1994 yeah. it was both of our picks and it was the one that it's pretty much you know if we were to have a number 11 it would probably be this yeah it's a hundred percent the unofficial and, number 11 yeah <laughs> and it, it very narrowly missed out and i think um you know fear street was such a weird cool thing that happened this year you know, it's a weird experiment releasing these three movies kind of back to back to back and putting so much content out there. I think the first movie was incredibly strong and, and possibly maybe a little bit soured by what came after it, if anything. Um, you know, two two was a drop off and then three did regain, especially when we kind of got to the the conclusion of three it really did at least leave a satisfying taste in the mouth. But but certainly part one, I think the way part one opened and and kind of you know it was a super strong movie so yeah narrowly missing out yeah it's really unfortunate because i was super <laughs> excited to watch these they they blew me away in terms of my expectations and the first mm. one was so awesome where i was like oh my god i can't believe we get two more of these and yeah the drop-off was there i certainly didn't enjoy the second two parts as much um and, and in particular part two is the one that kind of for me is the weakest yeah. and i know a lot of people really like part two which i'm really glad about um but then for me yeah the second half of part three massively picked it up and i overall loved the way they concluded this trilogy and i think we both said that like they nailed this concept um yeah. And it was really cool because, like I say, this is something that you wouldn't see other than on a platform like a Netflix um, because you're not going to get like I remember when this got talked about um, yeah, years ago. And it was kind of like, oh, yeah, they're doing a Fair Street trilogy. And I was like, OK, I don't even know really what that means. And then there was a release of like, oh, yeah, it's going to be free movies. And I'm like, so what are they going to do? Are they just going to release them like once a year or once every six months? Like it just becomes very kind of complicated. And there's almost no precedent for that. Um, like it's crazy when you think about the, the way they did the Matrix sequels. I because they're still going to say the Matrix is the closest we've got to that. <laughs> It's crazy when you think about it. Like, I know that there's stuff like, you know, Infinity Water Endgame was like one year and stuff. But like the way they did the Matrix sequels was bizarre, um, you know, and, and kind of really unique looking back on it now, like 18 years later or whatever it is. And like there really hasn't been many of these franchises. I mean, I guess I think Kill Bill was under a calendar year as well, I want to say. Um, we, we, but again, like the fact that there's these hand longer kill bill. Yeah, the fact that there's these handful of examples though, mm. and so yeah, yeah. Like, I wouldn't like waiting a year between these Fair Street parts just wouldn't have worked oh, for the story it. at all. Yeah. So I, I props to Netflix as well because I do think that the release schedule really helped this. And I'm also glad they didn't release them all at once mm. um, because I do think it kept that conversation going for two over two weeks rather than just like yeah. the weekend. Um, so, yeah, very sad that that one misses out. Um, I think for me, the next kind of one on here that was probably closest um, was Black Friday. Um, obviously, we talked about that pretty recently, so I won't go over it massively. But, like, just a great comedy horror. Like I say, for me, sometimes 
when a movie is exactly what you're expecting, that's enough. And mm-hmm. that for me is the very definition of Black Friday. I wanted a goofy horror that didn't take itself seriously, that had a lot of fun one-liners, some fun horror. Um, and I could just switch off my brain for like 80 minutes and have a good time. And that's exactly what it was. And I do think that this movie has gone under the radar. I kind of called it on our show, on our um our review and yeah the last few weeks after that like it's just disappeared off the face of the earth and i'm like man it just i again literally just talking about netflix i'm like why are they not picking up these types of movies because i really do think it would have done well for them like releasing a movie called black friday on black friday posting that on the homepage, like everyone's gonna watch it so like oh today's the black friday sale everyone here's here's our version of black Mm. friday it just makes sense Um, you could have even done it as a fun little thing of like our black friday sale is you get to watch this movie and you don't even have to be a subscriber do you know what i mean like there's just so many cool little things you could do without surrounding the market in rather than just well the movie's out and we had to just buy it to watch it and that's you know it's fine because i really enjoyed the movie but there's certainly better ways i think they could have delivered the film sure um but yeah and and yeah i like like what you said i think this movie the big thing about this is it delivered on its promise and and that's why i really love it Mm. um yeah i think kind of next up we've got the conjuring part three yeah i think um you know it's kind of shocking that a conjuring movie doesn't make our top 10 because you know we weren't we weren't ranking horror movies when the first one came out but um part two ranked highly you know we've been a big fan of the core conjuring movies pretty much all of the spin-offs haven't I don't think any of them are hit a top 10. No, Pretty much most close. of them we haven't even liked that much. But the mm. Conjuring movies, you know, we have liked quite a bit. And I think this one, you know, does suffer, obviously, from James Wan kind of not, not being at the helm. But we still get the Warrens. I think this the, the, the thing that was cool about this was the real-life aspect behind it. And it's something that we've not seen so much in a um, <clears throat> Conjuring movie, this kind of real-life manifestation of evil. Um, and I actually quite enjoyed that. And I think, um, you know, that part was really good. I think kind of the opening kind of possession slash incident that kind of causes the whole court case, um, conundrum is good as well. And like I say, it's a pretty solid movie. I think if we had got an Elvis song in it, 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 (laughs) it may have, it may have got top 10. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I think I would have been pushing for it. Like, I, I love this movie. I remember when I watched it at the cinema and being, like, mm. completely shocked. And I put this very highly on my list when I saw it. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was in my top five at one point. And that just kind of shows you the consistent quality of, like, it yeah, just most, slowly most dropped down. This would have got to a top – this would have been in a top ten most other years. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, like, you, you know, you talk about the lack of James Wan, like, to me, that never really came into it, because I never thought, you know, he was never attached to it. And I think the fact that we got The Conjuring 2 was already a miracle, and, and you know, my uh, opinion better than the original. And so I think I was always kind of like, okay, it's cool that we're going to get to see finally more of the Warrens after getting like the tease in the last Annabelle movie. But and especially with the director who obviously made Curse of La Llorona and I couldn't stand that movie. So like my hype was so low for this movie and he completely shocked me and I give him massive credit because I thought he did a brilliant job. Um, 
and yeah, just a, to me, a worthy succession where, like, if you just ignore all the other bullshit of all the spinoffs, it's a really great horror trilogy. Um, mm-hmm. And I think kind of really like great. the story of the Warrens over that trilogy is so awesome. And they are genuinely two of the most heartwarming characters in the history of horror. Um, I just love those two actors in those roles. Like, I want yeah. them to, you know, I just want to hang out with them and just like them tell me stories, you know, and sing Elvis to I me. Sing, sing around the campfire. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah um so yeah it's it's awesome man it's a it's a really great movie i I think it's gonna be one of those ones that probably will be underrated over time because you have like such the high spot Mm. of the james one movies but it it really shouldn't be thrown to the side just because james one's not on it it's a really great film um yeah but uh yeah i guess the other one kind of that we really liked was an on-demand movie that we saw uh, earlier this year um which was the sound of violence um again a a movie that went massively kind of under the radar and i'm really glad that we kind of sought this one out and i guess got to see it when we did it was one of those last few movies where we were like really hunting for on-demand stuff before like just the big releases basically just took us through for the next six months um and kind of like took our took care of themselves and yeah just a really cool concept the the use of sound obviously has become such a massive thing it's become very prevalent in horror recently and Mm -hmm. obviously two of our favorites two of our previous uh winners in fact uh in don't breathe and a quiet place and i think this is it's not that but it's a different nice spin on it and i think kind of the unwinding of the lead character as she's like slowly becoming the psychotic killer with the use of sound it was just really good really strong performances this is one of those indie movies that i think if you saw it at fright fest and and it was at fright fest this year yeah. as well which is cool so i hope people i i really hope people knew <clears throat> nothing about this movie and had that experience like what we had for life changer where it was just mm. like oh that's a cool concept they saw it they they hopefully watched it at the prince charles and they just had a great time because i had a fantastic time watching it at home and i did i had seen trailers and stuff but i think if i knew absolutely nothing and i saw this at fright fest this probably would have been in my top 10 yeah, just because the, the experience that I, yeah that we were championing if if that had have happened definitely but still a great film isn't it definitely i think you know it's the the concept i think you know um slight spoilers for later but this narrowly misses out on best concept as well you know i think it would be an honorable mention there because it's kind of you know it's so um it is clever and and, in the way that the kills happen i think that's the thing that's so clever about it our killer doesn't just have oh, it's going to kill with sound, and it's the same thing. Each kill is very different and very clever, got a very mm. kind of out-there ballsy ending as well. And, yeah, yeah just all-round really enjoyable movie and, and shocking that it does miss out on the top ten, really. Um, but it's just that this year is just so crazy strong. Definitely. And um, then the last one you were a big fan of. Yeah, the last one is more of an honourable mention for me than than you, really. I think this one would have... Um, it wouldn't have made my personal top 10, but it would have been very close. Um, I think when we start to talk about our top 10, we we pretty much had the same 10, 11, 12 movies. Yeah. You know? and, and then this would have been round about that 13 mark probably for me. And it's kind of, it's the Nighthouse. Um, I think, you know, this movie just delivered on kind of everything for me, but in particular the lead. I just kind of loved her from the start. I loved the character. I loved the um, the way her trauma was stripped back and told to us. And then kind of as things were unpacked, it was kind of like, oh, was her husband a piece of shit? Was he hiding things? Was he a killer? Was he this? Was he that? And then kind of, 
you know, when we got to the reveal at the end about what he actually was, I just really appreciated that. And it felt like it was something a bit different and, mm. um, and, and really well done. And I, and I think possibly if they'd have maybe added like a 30 seconds post credits, I feel like I'd have been way hotter on this movie than what it was. And I feel like you would have been hotter on the movie as well. I think it just missed a bow at the end of the movie to just wrap things up a little bit more because it it did it just kind of made it feel a little bit kind of pointless and kind of not finished mm. and if they had have just had a scene of her sat in a calf being like you know i live with nothing now and whatever you know it i think it would have been good and and i think that's what was needed just to kind of show that there is some sort of resolution post the the end scene you know the end finale yeah Um, but still a super strong movie yeah i thought like the the kind of directing and acting in particular in this one was phenomenal Mm. uh and i I think you really i wouldn't say a bad word about either of those things but yeah it was just the ending really soured me um in a way that i normally don't have normally i just let the movie kind of journey happen and then assess it afterwards whereas the way this movie was going to me it just felt like i was going down a straight path with a very defined ending and when the movie didn't give me that ending that i thought it was going to give me then it obviously frustrated me um and like i say i try not for that to happen um it happens really to both of us but it does happen occasionally yeah because i'll never judge something on what i wanted it to give me if that makes sense i'll always judge it on what it did give me um and but this is one of those rare cases where i was like Oh, I almost feel like trolled now because I think a lot of the good (laughs) stuff in the first like hour now isn't as good because I thought it was in purpose of an ending, which obviously didn't happen. Um, But it is still a great film and it's definitely one that I think people should check out. Um, But yeah, it's time. Yeah. I mean, the first movie kicking off our top 10 of the year Um, and it is a familiar face. Um, one that uh, has featured on a list before, in fact, a sequel. I cannot believe it. It's an actual of all the I spend all year talking shit about sequels and uh, somehow I've let a few on my list. <laughs> Might not be the last one. <laughs> no. Um, and this sequel was a massive surprise sequel and a surprise, in fact, that we didn't even know it existed um, until we were like, oh, there's a new Blu-ray that we should probably check that out because it turns out it's a sequel to one of our favorite movies we've ever covered, um, which is, in fact, one cut of the dead in hollywood um and this is one of those movies that like just seeing the kind of cover puts a smile on my face um you know we talked a lot about that in the last year and kind of that mix between and this list certainly shows that that mix between the really serious stuff that you want to sit down you want to have like a real straight kind of edge experience with Mm. and you really want to critique and really absorb and think about and do all that stuff that that real people that you know that people that really like films do um and then there's this world exactly um and then there's those other aspects of movies and again like this isn't the exact same extent but sometimes you just want to have a good time and i think obviously the first movie was so groundbreaking um and is truly i think on like the indie hall of fame you know where it's like Mm -hmm. if you want to if you, like they should teach people that movie is what I think I'm trying to say. Like it's it shows you that money isn't everything in film. When uh, when 99 of the time, sadly, it is, um, and money limitates and and ultimately decides so many different decisions when it comes to making films. Can, I don't think you can show this movie to people that want to make movies though, because no one in the history of cinema can make a movie like this again. 
Like, yeah, we just certainly person... didn't say try and copy this. That's for damn sure. But I think you say stand alone in, in his level of of craziness and craft, and the fact that he managed to almost <laughs> capture lightning in a bottle twice is crazy. Yeah, well, he would. Yeah, he would have to teach the class to at least try mm. and explain what the hell's going on in that head of his. But like, I would like to see that whiteboard. Yes, um, but yeah, it was just great, you know. And I said it in our review. To me, this was a victory lap, and I was like. They deserve this after making the little movie that could. And it really, again, can't be understated because there are other indie movies on here. But you're talking indie and then you're talking a next level of indie where it's like, yeah, they're almost not getting paid for this. Like this is like there is no money. You're just doing this for the passion. And I think when that works and you make something that's literally an international hit um, where it completely breaks your country of origin. And obviously it's a non-English language speaking movie, which there's already like a ton of barriers about those types of movies not breaking mm -hmm. through and the way this movie did but then to be like oh no we're gonna we're gonna make another one of these we're gonna get everyone back but then it is gonna actually be ridiculously well written in terms of like the meta aspects of it where like they are explaining you know that there's this big hit and oh yeah well of course well what happens if a foreign language movie does well you're gonna make the american you know english language yeah. remake and Brilliant. to kind of incorporate all that stuff but then to see their great tongue-in-cheek you know comedic tone take on it I just had a blast with this movie. I I've only seen it once, but I really need to just, you know, sit down and dedicate two hours or whatever it is to watching them both back to back um, because I'm sure I'll have a great time with it. Definitely. I think the thing about this one is that, um, like, you, like you were saying, with, with a foreign language movie, it's really hard to break. And, and horror movies do break quite a lot because, mm. because on-screen scares still work. Um, yeah, they usually this, lack more dialogue than most movies. Yeah, exactly. But this isn't about that. This is about dialogue and comedy and mm. timing. You know, so for this to work, it's labelled as a horror movie, yeah. but you know, it's 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 so much more. And I think kind of, yeah, you know, the the first movie is so truly special. And I think kind of when I you know heard about this, there was not a lot of um, overthinking it because it was pretty much like, oh, the Blu-ray's out, let's order it and put do a show on it. But it was kind of like, well. Um, is this going to be any good? Like, it, can they really do it again? Have they just kind of cashed in and, and like, or, or what is this? Or is it something that they'd filmed and then they didn't put as part of the first mm. one? Or what is it? But then, like, when we actually see it, none of those were true. It was a genuinely fantastic, like you said, well-written script, a true sequel, and just, just seeing all that cast back and having this encore um was incredible and it, it really did deliver you know it was it was so funny so clever the backwards and forwards between kind of you know when you were seeing i think as well with this one because you you know what the the story is of the first movie yeah you know what, what the, trick, what the is. trick is yeah you're trying to see the trick and when yeah. these things happen like when suddenly you've got characters that look okay one second and then it tuck, tuck, um, cuts away and then they turn back and they're zombies. I'm like, the, you know, the dream, the whole dream sequence in this, I was like, oh, how the hell have they done this? <laughs> like, and, and then when you actually see it come into fruition and then when there is this whole kind of, you know, hilarious backstory behind the, the filming of it as well, it's kind of like, you, you know, like when you um, 
put a video camera into a mirror and you just keep seeing the camera backwards and forwards, layers and layers <laughs> yeah. and layers. That's kind of what One Cut of the Dead is. Like, mm. I still feel like there's another version where we could peel it back one more layer yeah. and we'd be able to watch that movie. And, and you know, we got that with the, the director cam from One Cut of the Dead. And I, and I believe there is something for One Cut of the Dead in Hollywood where there, there is another layer to this onion uh, that we may get to see. But either way, it's just a, a great way to start the list. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I this one coming in at number nine is a huge <laughs> surprise. I mean... <laughs> Who saw this coming? Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of like all my hopes and dreams, really, when this movie got announced, that, that it would make the top ten. And a, a, a dream that I didn't even know I'd have, because I didn't <laughs> think it would stand a chance. Um, and yeah, that movie is Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. That's right. The Resident Evil movie is in our top ten movies this year. Mind you know how, blown. How happy that makes me. <laughs> like this movie delivered on almost every level, you know, and the levels that it didn't deliver on, it was made up by by the level of care around the franchise and the the nostalgia and the way that they got all these Easter eggs in that was just incredible. And like I said, I'm sure I've still only seen half of the Easter eggs. Um, I think kind of you know the seeing raccoon city seeing that outbreak seeing these characters just all of it was something that we've dreamed of you know for so long and and i said it when we did the show on it only a couple of weeks ago you know if if i'd have seen this movie if this movie had come out 20 years ago like it would probably be one of my best like all-time favorite movies you know it, it really just delivered on the franchise of what i needed it to deliver on and um yeah, I'm shocked by it. I think kind of, um, <clears throat> you know, some of the things like the, you know, the overuse of practical effects, the way certain characters were kind of uh, changed, because a lot of the times I do tip my hat to them for changing the characters, because another thing about this movie is this isn't just a remake of the video game. This is a brand new story. Leon, um, Claire and Chris are, are very different. You know, most characters are very different. And and that's what made it fun for me because it felt like it was its own movie, but just genuinely cared about the craft of the games. And and I think that's why it succeeded beyond what I thought it would be because a, a straight remake wouldn't be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas this having its own plot and its own take on the characters gave me something fresh and new that I didn't know I necessarily wanted, but still with the overall story that, that I really wanted. So yeah, I, I, I you know i'm I'm just shocked by it yeah this was a, a real great time like i had a blast watching this and i think it's a movie that the more i kind of think about and have like that critical head on it you know it starts to slip away not not entirely obviously but like you know there's more things i'm like oh yeah that was a bit weird and why did they do that and this and that and like obviously that is the the hardcore resident evil fanatic in us which sure. isn't going to go away but i think that you have to give this movie credit for being a great version of Resident Evil, really for the first time in live action in a film. Um, mm-hmm. I, I said it in the show in terms of just the quality of the movie. This is <clears throat> easily the best Resident Evil movie since the original. And I think that if you put them toe to toe, that movie is probably better, the original. But I think that, yeah, that's that didn't feel like Resident Evil. Whereas this wholeheartedly, for like I said at the time, for better or for worse 
feels like Resident Evil. I think Resident Evil can be an incredibly, um, you know, grounded horror experience. Resident Evil can also be goofy as hell and really silly and cheesy dialogue and weird set pieces. And I and so I do think that this this movie really captures that in a way that is odd because yeah there are characters in this that are really grounded and then there are characters in this that are the opposite of that that are just completely (laughs) weird um but i really do think that like it just it to me it felt like resident evil which i think was the biggest takeaway and as the the resident evil fan enemy had a great time watching this and i think we both was like man this was a real pleasant surprise and also the fact that it can't be understated that like the fact that the director is a fan of resident evil that 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 adds to the movie for me because like i say we've seen so many franchises being put in the wrong hands and this is something that really bothers me in terms of when you get something that you love the people that originally created it are no longer part of that experience anymore and so it just gets put in you know ultimately for lack of a better word random people's hands and sometimes you get gold where it's like you know you just get someone you know i know this is a weird example but like john favreau for example he gets star wars for me you know he was clearly not involved in star wars back in the day but he's enough of a fan as well as more importantly a competent filmmaker to treat star wars right and you you hope and pray that that's what you get but then on the other hand you get countless experiences of people that haven't got a fucking clue what they're doing with these things that are amazing and i have to see franchises like you know there's no surprise that the new saw movie is not on this list and i think that what? Seeing these franchises in the wrong hands is painful from a from a fan perspective, and so I'm just thankful that uh, Halloween, after Halloween. <laughs> that last franchise of movies, which certainly had mm. some highs but a lot of lows, I'm glad that again, for better or worse, it at least ended up in the hands of a filmmaker who loves Resident Evil. This Definitely. wasn't like a oh god, I guess. I mean, it's a paying job, I guess you know, and like maybe if I do this well for Sony, they'll let me make like you know the next. venom movie that i actually really want to do do you know what i mean it's chin to this movie hell yeah, yeah but he's he still he still had a real i had a great time i think he had a great time making it i had a great time watching it um, let's be honest watch another what one would, what would we do if we we were given those tools we we would we would hammer up and do everything exactly yeah <laughs> and that's what we've said before and that's all you can ask for really i think like, that, I yeah i kind of respect the level of restraint he showed to be honest <laughs> yeah uh, yeah true yeah well like going into it i was like man i, I hope there's nemesis in this and like <laughs> exactly. yeah. do you know what i mean it's like you just want it all don't you because like i say we're coming at it with 20, you know years of, i mean of, of let's talk about just movie to exist that's what we've come in for it with yeah, of, of plenty of amazing games and plenty of terrible games as well. And so I think that ultimately, if you look at the average of Resident Evil, this movie is probably a perfect yeah. realization of that. <laughs> um, but obviously, yeah, yeah, it could be better. I always want a Resident Evil movie to be at the top of this list. You know, like this year for games, Resident Evil Village is across all video games, one of the best video games of the year. Not yeah. just horror, all video games. It is one of the best. It was nominated for Game of the Year. It deserved it. Um, whereas this obviously is not at the top no, of the list no, for a it's reason nine, you um, know, we're, we're, we've got a lot more movies that we enjoyed more than this but but if you'd have said to me when this movie mm. was announced it will be nine on your year-end list i would have taken it yeah yeah like we said like it's 
it going into it we were like well will this just feel like a fan mm. movie with a budget and i think mm. at times it does but that it again it worked you know after so many years of seeing a movie called resident evil and playing amazing resident evil games and those movies not remotely you resembling those games in any way shape or form exactly and oh that oh was was that guy called redfield was he i didn't even have a clue that that was that character because he doesn't look or sound remotely or act remotely like these people um so yeah i i hope that i mean listen who knows what the hell the future of resident evil holds like it really is the zombie franchise in the perfect way possible because it just it dies and it comes back to life and it lives a second life and it reinvents itself and you can never get rid of it good or bad and so like going forward i'm like man i have no clue what the next because obviously we're gonna get another resident evil movie at some point whether it's one year two year five years ten years there will be another Mm -hmm. live action resident evil movie and who knows what that's gonna look like and i think as time goes on we might look at this even more fondly than we do right now (laughs) um but uh yeah that is number nine and then number eight on the list um this was, a, again, a movie that we had trepidation about yeah, going in, um, which, you know, judging by the director's previous work, feels ridiculous. But we obviously we had our reasons. Um, and that movie was old. Um, obviously, M. Night on the list again. Um, that's what, three in a row for him? I don't know how it is now. <laughs> Yeah, well, and like I say, to give a bit of context, I guess, for people, because obviously now having seen the movie and I absolutely love it, um, it was a weird one. The original concept didn't seem like there was enough there. Mm -hmm. Um, The original teaser trailer was god awful, Mm -hmm. um, which was literally like 30 seconds. And then they didn't release a proper trailer until I want to say about two or three weeks before the movie came out. Mm -hmm. So that's what we were left with for about five months. And then the full length trailer came out and I thought the movie looked bad. Like I was like, what is going on? It's all on this beach everyone's just kind of running around screaming that's what kind of like the vibe i got from the trailer and i was like yeah this does almost just look like a bad episode of the twilight zone i'm like how is that going to be fun for feature length um and luckily that was one of those examples that whoever cut that trailer should be fired um (laughs) because they made a really great movie look terrible this movie's awesome i think it's really well done the actual concept does work when you sit down and watch the film and it doesn't feel like oh this is it you know there's so much going on i can vividly remember like a dozen characters from the movie um which very rare these days for you know especially when we're we're covering new movies to discuss every single week and i think that the way they layered all those characters the way how you could see you could see certain things coming but then you certainly couldn't see other things coming you know i liked early on when it was like oh you know like my my back used to give me a bit of jip sort of thing and then you're like okay that you know that person's gonna have back problems later on and (laughs) yeah those sort of like you know the person with glasses and all these little things like i like those little setups but then it really it just went so hard like this movie really didn't pull any punches i thought for like this big kind of m night movie i expected it to be a lot softer than it was and to be almost like a oh yeah this is a little bit terrible but things will turn out all right in the end but like this was a really dark movie at times i feel like um when you're dealing with these sorts of themes of like life and death and people's lives just kind of going in an instant i think that is you know a very heavy high uh, like science fiction concept and i think when it's utilized well it can be one of the most devastating things especially when you're dealing with loved ones 
and kind of like, and especially with kids and them seeing just grow up in front of your eyes and not getting to experience all those moments together. Um, and I thought this was just fantastic. Again, it feels weird now even thinking that I wasn't excited for it because for me, I'm, I would consider myself an M night fanboy. Um, you know, I love the guy's work and I think that he's on an absolute tear with his last four movies right now. I think he's in the best form he's ever been in. Um, and I hope that it continues past old. Yeah, I think um, what what you were saying towards the end I want to touch upon is that um, I remember when I saw Interstellar mm. and kind of when he has that moment where he has to make a decision and it's going to take ye- – he's going to lose years of his daughter's life for it. And I remember just thinking like how horrific that was and it really hit me in the face, that movie. And like I just – you know, I, I probably should have expected it really when I thought about the concept of this movie, but I just didn't, I didn't think it would hit you on that level. And like you said, when you're kind of, when you've got that level of um, loss where you haven't lost the person, but the person has lost that experience of life, it's kind of, you know, just, just so tragic. And, and it really did kind of bring it home. And when you've got kind of this, this um, innocence of like, especially like the, the couple, if you like you know, mm. the boy and the girl and kind of how they um have have matured and their 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 feel you know their kind of emotion and their minds have matured but they're still adolescent you know um in a lot of other ways and it was kind of it was incredibly well acted um because i think they could have done it like many different ways where they could have been a 20 year old that still thought and spoke like an 8 year old but but that's not what they did you know it was a 20 year old that was 20 talk and spoke like they were 20 but just didn't have all all of those experiences so still had a very childlike kind of overarching mindset and it was just you know it's so it was so clever and i think kind of that's the part of it that really stuck with me i think kind of um you know with with that and and with the kind of um uh, hints that it gives you, like you said, the person that kind of like with, with dementia and, and a few of the other things and kind of when you've got a character that has this tendency, I think that was kind of really fun to see play out. I think the way that when certain characters get hurt and injured and it kind of instantly <laughs> healed, like that mm. was absolutely gnarly as well. And I think, um, you know, those things were just, they, they can only come out of the mind of M. Night. I think that's the thing. That like you know this guy is is got some real crazy credits to his name and he just continues to deliver on it and and yeah as with you i'm i'm an absolute fan of his i think you know pretty much you know all of his deliver movies have delivered for me especially the ones that stay within our genre mm. um and i think yeah in recent years he's hit a true return to form again and and yeah i cannot wait for his next project after this one it's been truly amazing to see because when you think yeah. about, you know, that he became such a huge name after Sixth Sense. And then I think with Unbreakable, which is maybe his best film or certainly maybe my favorite um, and kind of those early stuff. But then, yeah, he fell off to a cliff of a level of which is like almost never been seen before. Yeah. Where 
to the point his name wasn't being put on his movie exactly and that is like unbelievable for you know when you go from being like the guy the auteur you know one of these guys that that is truly what's put in the butts and seats to like oh we hope people see this movie and don't realize he's directing it mm-hmm. and like and that is just unbelievable and to the point where it's what's crazy is i haven't even seen those middle movies because the no. the negative reception was so overwhelming and that is bad on my part because i should obviously formulate my own opinion but it was just the point of like nothing about those movies appealed to me they just looked so uninteresting and i was just like man where is this guy going in terms of his career and so with the visit to kind of pick that up and be like oh yeah i'm just gonna make this like weird cool horror movie was great and then obviously like i'm such a huge fan of his the two other movies and split and glass they're just absolutely incredible and yeah and and i should say as well like this was one of my favorite cinema experiences of the year um because i think seeing this movie like on the big screen was just absolutely awesome um it, it was so gorgeous um seeing a movie that is like set on a beach is really cool um you know i think we talked about it at the time with uh with midsummer um and how like most horror movies you know we see the same sort of color palettes a lot you know there's a lot of dark houses there's a lot of all these types of things whereas Mm. to see these movies that just visually are very different and i think to to see see like on a bright beach for 90 minutes yeah and it's like and obviously you know it gets a bit dark towards the end and stuff but like there was a lot of really great horror that they didn't shy away on that looked really great that was in the bright sunlight with everyone in their holiday gear on Mm. um and i think that is a strength of the performance is in terms of like there this was one of those few movies that i think across the board had one of the best casts of the year but i think it was almost due to the vehicle which was this movie that there wasn't that one standout um where it was just like it was a collective yeah there was like 10 really good performances you know some people that are in the movie for a while some people that are really not on screen for probably more than like eight to ten minutes but they'd leave that impact because they nailed the role and also they were all believable like at no point was i like oh this person you know when you you watch certain movies that pull you in but then there's like that one character that you're like oh my god why is this guy cast Mm -hmm. he's just he's reading a different script to everyone else tonally he got it completely wrong like i don't know why he's in this movie and that can really take you out of it and i've seen great films that that's happened to me but i was like man i believe that everyone is in this 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 awful situation um and they're just somehow all going through this thing together and they're just trying to figure it out basically um so yeah this is such a cool movie man i really uh i really want to rewatch it all <laughs> now that it's finally out yeah me too man me too um but yeah coming up in number seven is a little movie that um we kind of came out of nowhere and was a shock to us and kind of um, is another sequel um, to a Did franchise. Did come out of nowhere? <laughs> well, I mean... I think it's just like that that it landed the way the way that it did, and I think kind of. Um... I don't know. I was doing detective work on this one for like three years. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just that you know th- this movie, yeah, VHS nineteen ninety one, VHS ninety four is number mm. seven, and I think it's just the fact that uh, you know, yeah, we were hyped for it, and yeah, we we kind of wanted a new VHS movie, but did we truly believe that it would kind of? You know, after the last one and kind of what it'd been dead for so long, like, could it be a true return to form and could it really deliver? And I think, um, 
you know, it, it surprised me like when it started and I was just in it and, and, you know, the segments were, were truly enjoyable. I think kind of, you know, it had some absolute crazy horror in it. I think kind of, you know, removed from this movie now, I think that the, the Frankenstein segment, uh, mm. you know, kind of Frankenstein's monster segment oh, so kind of just really sticks out. And is when I kind of, you know, the instant, this was on the our list just now and i was thinking about it that's what came into my head you know and i and, and i'm almost like i can remember some of the other segments i remember kind of the whole um uh vampire one at the end that, that was good and you know the whole the whole movie was good but i think the the the, the frankenstein's monster kind of segment really was the standout and i think it um it, it had this level of practical effect and it had this level of gore and just kind of weird kind of, you know, body horror that, that um, just was, was not expected. And, and um, yeah, it was the true standout moment. But I think, you know, as, as we said already earlier on this episode with the news story, um, Shudder got themselves a little gem here. And I think kind of, not enough people have seen this movie and I think it needs to get more buzz because mm. um, it, it needs a sequel. You know, VHS is a franchise that those first two movies, the first one in particular, were incredible and they were something that we were so invested in and and we probably said it in that show, but, you know, it's that they're one of the, the kind of recent horror movies that got us into searching for horror and doing research for horror movies that were coming out before we were doing this podcast um and so yeah it, it holds a special place and this this delivered on those first two movies yeah i, I think you said at the start kind of like you know when they this first got announced and when we knew this was coming like could they truly you know bring it back and capture mm. that same energy and, and honestly the answer was no because mm. i think when you look at those sequels you know it was a, a decline and and especially with with viral the third one it was a steep decline it went from like this is mind like groundbreaking at the time the original vhs and like i say when you just take a gander at the people involved in the first movie yeah. and you've got yourselves people that are attached to some of the biggest franchises in the world right now and rightly so um but then to get to vhs viral that is like unwatchable um and killed the franchise and rightly so and so yeah it was such a tough ass to bring back and they got a good mix of returning faces and new people i thought mm-hmm. um but yeah they they nailed it i thought the they really just captured what the energy of vhs was and i do think that again that was difficult to do because i'd rewatched the movies prior to 94 mm-hmm. and I adore the, the original movie. It is truly one of my all-time favorites, but I was kind of stunned at how so much of it doesn't hold up. Um, and you just couldn't get away with it, I guess, nowadays. Um, you know, there's a lot of weird, like, sexism stuff in there that's just, like, odd now with it with a 2021 lens. Um, and, and I'm like, oh, man, but is, you know, what was that part of the charm at the time? And, and kind of like, how are they going to still keep this feeling like vhs but it not be awkward and they they nailed it to me um where yeah most of the segments were just fantastic um yeah like the the kind of heavy science fiction one like you say the frankenstein one was just so good um it is like criminal that like that's all we get of that because Mm -hmm. 
you watch that and I'm like, oh, just let these guys make a full length movie and then hopefully we'll get like the worthy successor to Hardcore Henry, which we'll sadly never yeah. get. Um, the more horror, I guess, focused version of Hardcore Henry. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, Hail Ratmer, like, what a great moment. I, I, I love the first segment as well, like, especially mm-hmm. the intro and how like genuinely scary it was before it then becomes obviously something completely different. But yeah, like, I think there is maybe some bias in involved in this one because we're talking about a franchise that is extremely close to our hearts and so the fact that they made a great vhs movie definitely puts it up a few marks in my book um if if you you make a really good movie of a franchise we're already invested in it's gonna make our top 10 i mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah judging by this list all sequels baby um evil vhs we're you know you make a good one we'll keep it we'll we'll add it (laughs) honestly i don't know how i've let this happen like i am the biggest hypocrite in the world where i'm like yeah sequels are terrible and then this episode i've been like i want psycho gourmet 2 and all of this list is apparently sequels um but yeah yeah. you make a good movie it doesn't matter whether it's got a one at the start a two at the start or a 94 at the start like yeah just just make a really good movie and 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 we'll we'll want to go see it well i truly believe as well like because i'm obviously half joking here is like i do hold that like sequels to a higher standard and obviously when we get through this list i think you'll see why because there are great movies but yeah like you have this certain baggage you know like i again not to bring it up again but seeing as we talk about the whole year like spiral is a better movie than it is a saw movie um i think don't breathe 2 is a way better movie than it is a sequel to don't breathe Mm -hmm. and so i think those are things that you do come into consideration um you know neither of those films being on this list whereas when you get into the the one cut of the deads in hollywood and the vhs 94s it's like well no i'm actually i'm holding it up to these things that are I mean, you're talking about VHS and One Cut of the Dead. Like, I adore these movies. And so, like, if they, like you said earlier, <laughs> shout out a sequel with these things in the title, I'd be incredibly angry about it, just like I am that they continue to crap out Saw movies. Um, you know, and, like, you know, heaven forbid they make a decent Hellraiser one of these days. Like, and, and you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, all of these things that we love... And they just get shat on constantly. So the fact that there is sequels in there, I mean, I, I truly believe this is one of the best years we've ever had for sequels. Um, I, I think, I mean, when we look at our best sequel remake category, you know, <laughs> this this is the best year we've had for sequels and remakes. Mm. Um, I think hands down. And in particular sequels. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, next up on the list is an original horror movie. Um <laughs> About as original as you can get, really, because I've definitely Easy. not seen anything like this, um, except for maybe, <laughs> except maybe some of the stuff that his father made. Um, but we are talking about a little movie called Possessor, um, which yeah, we have not talked about for a long time because that was one of the first movies that it we covered indeed. earlier this year. That um, I really don't even think I was ready for at the time. No, it was and it's um, still steered into my brain yeah it's it's an experience it's one of those ones that we discuss every so often where it's like i love this movie um i couldn't watch it all the time because it makes me feel a certain way and it's one of those movies that if if a normie is like oh what have you you know it's 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 october they're feeling fruity they want to throw on a horror movie <laughs> tell them to tell them to watch a quiet place you know tell them to watch like you know something tame that like people can enjoy don't tell them to watch possessor um because you're probably never going to be asked for a recommendation ever again um <laughs> 
but in terms of for us that people love this year i mean for me i love science fiction like almost as much as i love horror and so when i see those two melded together it's like it, it can always be a match made in heaven and it's probably maybe one of my biggest disappointments in terms of doing this show is the we haven't seen that i I guess we we have seen it but i don't think we've necessarily seen the full potential realized when when i think about my favorite movies that we've covered for the show they're almost all just strictly horror films um and i think there is this place to deliver in his black mirror yeah definitely and like it's i i want to see them melded together because they it truly can be something special and i think that a lot of the times you get different elements you, you know you normally get maybe like a science fiction concept or something like that but to me this is so those two genres perfectly blended i i think the idea of taking the weird science fiction stuff of kind of going into someone else's brain and kind of like using them as an avatar but then the reason why you're doing that the the kind of motive is a pure horror film you know it's like you're a hitman you know you're trying to kill these targets and i just love it man it's so original it's so unique it's so visceral this movie is like ridiculous on the gore you know we see a lot of gore obviously in today's horror and it's real easy to quickly become desensitized because you know you see it on tv nowadays like very brutal kills and i think it really takes they have to up it to a level that like i'm not even sure i'm comfortable with Mm. to like get a reaction out of people like us i think these kind of like tough and you know tough vets at this point of the genre and so you know i always remember lords of chaos like i I think that is like the gold standard really um you know because when i think of like affecting kill scenes that is the movie that immediately springs to mind it has like three of them and i think possessor is certainly yeah yeah my god but yeah this movie certainly has those moments and i think it's in those moments it's incredible um and it's so unique and i think yeah like as i touched upon earlier you know this is brandon cronenberg like this is the son of a of an absolute living legend of horror and Mm -hmm. this is your debut like (laughs) this is i mean it's disgusting because this is don't get me wrong i love his his father's work but this is way better than anything david was doing in his first few movies like easily so like just imagine when this guy's hitting his stride you know and hitting his form um it's absolutely awesome i adore possessor yeah man like uh i think as you said the the concept and the the molding of sci-fi horror is so strong it's also you know, obviously, Brandon, with, with what he did and kind of, um, you know, the way this movie is shot, the way it the way it looks, the way it sounds, all of that is is his vision. But the performances are also incredibly strong in this. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, you, you touched upon it that, you know, the mainstream just non-horror public uh, have watched Game of Thrones that has mm. got these crazy levels of violence in it. And throughout this year, I kind of, I think I found myself saying it over and over again, that you can't just do kills and you can't just make kills look good because mm. that's kind of the lowest denominator right now. The, the the lowest budget horror movie can make violence and gore look good. One Cut of the Dead, when it's just fucking around, can still make some gore look half decent. Mm. And it's not even trying to, you know, and... um you can so watch you YouTube shows that have, you know, yeah. good gore these days. Like, exactly. like I say, not you, you, that anymore. Yeah. 
Although they, those YouTube shows have a way higher budget than One Cut of the Dead, still. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, with with Possessor, the uh, the opening scene and kind of the finale kind of violence, um, they have been seared in my mind since we watched this in January. You know, and we're now talking in December, and those two are as vivid as as almost any other kill throughout the year. Mm. And I think kind of, um, you know, when you um, when you have when you have two of them in your movie, um, it, it it really it really is an uncomfortable watch, and I think it's uncomfortable from the opening scene, and and then it and then it truly goes back to that for the end, and it, it left an imprint in my mind, and it's it's a movie that I could have gone back and watched. You know, there there are movies as we as we get later on down our list that I would have quite liked to have watched for a second time. Mm-hmm. Um, and haven't been able to, but this is one that I could, but I just don't feel ready <laughs> because I know what it's going to do to me. And uh, kind of similar to like Midsummer, like um, I will go back to it. I will watch this movie again, but but just not yet. You know, yeah. t- twelve months isn't quite enough time. You know, maybe eighteen. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, there are loads of different horror movies that can have different um, mm. you know strengths and weaknesses. And like I say, there are certain movies that you just want to throw on. This is not yeah. one. Of and yeah i completely agree with midsummer it's like midsummer might be the best movie we've covered for this podcast and i've mm. probably only seen it maybe three times like i've seen movies that are released this year double that amount um <laughs> i wonder what um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh we're here we're in the top five man wow can you believe it what a list has um, already been what a list and i think from the top five onwards now each one of these movies at one point I thought could have been my number one. Mm. Um, and that's how strong this list is. And I still think there's an argument for each one of these movies that it could be higher or number one because they are all incredible. Mm. But in the end, like, you know, I'm, I'm 100% happy with our order, but they are so all incredible. I agree with that, and I would also add that, like our our top three, I genuinely didn't yeah. even know what my own favorite was. No, no, like, no. it when really was a case up. of like, okay, there's these three movies, and I'd be happy with calling any, any of these any, three movies. Any given day, yeah, any given day that they are. They are what they are. And, and it's worth knowing as well, that's <laughs> never happened before. No. Um, we've had at least two years where it's just been a unanimous number one and it was like we didn't even have the conversation because it was so obvious. And then every other year it's been just between two films. Yeah. Um, yeah we've, we've never, never had, had it. A, we've never had a three-horse race. No, which is like crazy. I said, it, it, there's an argument that this is a, a five-horse race, really. Mm. Um, but, yeah, number five is another sequel. Um <laughs> It's a sequel to a previous movie of the year for the Super Horror Bros. Yes. It is A Quiet Place Part 2. Mm, um, we finally seen it. We finally got to see it. We um we've had we've we've had it become a winner and then the mm. sequel not get the movie of the year again and unfortunately Quiet Place did the same. But I think Quiet Place Part 2, yeah, I mean Again, like we finally got to see it. We thought we were going to see this in, uh, you know, March 2020, and we had our tickets, and it it was an incredibly painful way. I think mm. this one is the most painful on the list um, uh, of movies we had to wait for because we literally had the tickets purchased. Yeah, um, and I think that's why it hurts so bad. Um, but when we finally got to see this movie, it completely delivered. 
I think, you know, A Quiet Place is a perfect movie and it's a movie that I didn't really think needed a sequel. And then now I've seen A Quiet Place Part 2, I'm like, oh, I'm ready for Part 3. And so I think that statement in itself can't be understated that, you know, a movie that I didn't want to exist now has got me sold for a franchise. Like, they really have done a great job with this movie. I think kind of, um, you know, why it ultimately is where it is on the list is that I think, um, you know, John Krasinski is a massive hole to fill. I think Killian Murphy's an, an incredible actor. His character is not John's character. So as as good as Killian is, he, he cannot fill those shoes because of the character that's there. Um, and, and, and yeah, I think kind of that, that was tough. I think, you know, um, most of the other characters, uh, that, that are still here are, are still incredible, but just not quite to the level that they were. And I think like, as we go on, it will be a case of kind of justifying where the movie is because this is a stellar movie. But when I look at like, um, Millicent and Emily Blunt, like, they are still incredible and still outstanding, but their performances in that first movie were were high end. And maybe it is just that you know, it is that sequelitis. It is the same thing. Whereas that first movie was so original and fresh. Um, but I think what this movie had that that is beyond the first movie was that whole um, sequence of events that kind of felt like it was a Nolan movie. Or, yeah, or you know wild. where where it was just like we had these we had these three stories or almost four but but these multiple stories that were that were all happening at the same time and each one of them i was captivated with each one of them i thought well they're fucked yeah like, i couldn't one see one moment any of them yeah. <laughs> yeah and and it was it was incredible and i think it was one of the best kind of like montages and sequences that i got in horror all year it was one of the most suspenseful for for sure like i was on the edge of my seat throughout that and so yeah like i said this movie um it 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 hurts that it's number five but it's it cannot be understated how good it is and it's also a movie that i have got to see again and it it is as good seeing it multiple times and and it still holds up and and yeah, I, I just really um, am, am so happy that it delivered after, you know, after that crazy, what was it, like 16-month wait or something? Yeah. Like, um, how how on earth could it live up to that? But it but it did, and, and it really, it was a really special moment this year seeing this movie as well, because yeah. it truly felt like, you know, we we got out of this we got back to the cinema we saw spiral and that happened and you know we were in the cinema and that was great but we were seeing a trash movie and it was mm. like oh okay quiet place we're back in our cinema as well you know we're back where we want to be and it was it was fantastic and and yeah like i say i think it's going to be a memory that sticks with me for a while just because of that return to cinema and then the fact that this movie was that good as well um it really was great 
Yeah, this seeing this movie really felt like oh we're we're back to normal in, in terms of like seeing horror films um, because it did feel like we had hit a pause button and obviously as we've discussed countless times we did see great movies throughout you know randomly last year stuff like Saint Maud and and obviously earlier this year we saw movies but they weren't movies that we had this long tail they weren't movies that we were incredibly excited for for months on end and then seeing them on the big screen you know that's like the complete experience for us mm-hmm. is like months of you get to see it it over delivers you adore it and then you go out feeling so satisfied and in love with the film and i think the only bad word i have to say about this movie is that it's just inferior to the original like it's not as good as the original in in any single sort of individual element but like as a movie it's so good and i think it ha- it's way better than it has any right to be as we discussed that like we neither of us wanted a sequel to a quiet place and and as you mentioned with it being a previous film of the year winner I mean, look at Don't Breathe. That was also a, a film of the year winner. It was also an unnecessary sequel. And it's it was nowhere near consideration for this top 10 list. So the fact that this solidified its place in a top five is so credit to them massively. Um, and I think that they just did such a good job. And again, my only takeaway the the only way i look back on this any sort of negatively is if we don't get a part three because i think that it's it feels like the amazing middle chapter in a trilogy at this point um and i think that if john comes back in the director's chair one last time and they finish this trilogy anywhere near the quality of these first two movies it will just make this one and the original even better somehow um and i really hope they do that great horror trilogies what yeah one of if not the best if if it's if part three is on the quality of these first two then that is a serious debate like it's Mm -hmm. it's you know you're talking a handful of movies that can even come close to that level of consistent quality um but even if it is just these part you know the first two parts i mean what a what a you know whirlwind of a story and yeah it was just a great great film like i say it's the only like downside for me is that watching that first movie was so emotional that experience and yeah. like i just didn't have that same mo- like reaction i guess is the is the key word um because no, i think i think other people in the nuts like three times and uh... yeah <laughs> and i think there is plenty of stuff in here that is on that level that will have that reaction to some people it just those moments weren't as effective in the first movie for me but i mean like i say as a sequel and as someone who is trying their damnedest to mark down sequels because i always want to praise really? originality <laughs> yeah it turn, turns out that um a lot of these movies came kicking and screaming onto list because they were just so damn good um and yeah i, I think this movie is so cool um, let's move on from sequels let's go to number four <laughs> i hate you so much <laughs> uh, i swear i swear there's there must be some original movie somewhere um because next up number four is another sequel it turns out um a, a somewhat surprise sequel mm-hmm. um maybe just in the Very sense of how much a direct sequel it was because this was a direct sequel it wasn't a remake it wasn't a reimagining or whatever the hell's marketing bullshit they wanted to say um it turns out that 2021's Candyman was in fact a direct sequel to Candyman. Oh, yeah. um just wish they'd have called it the Candyman, to be honest but uh 
yeah this movie was again one of these ones that we'd waited a very long time for i personally obviously had a lot more of excitement for this because i loved the trailer i adore that original Candyman movie it's it really is one of those movies that holds a special place in my heart um and i thought oh it's, you know based upon the trailer i was like man they're really nailing this and obviously jordan being involved just in a writing capacity i mean the guy's one of the best writers around so that alone is enough to be excited for the movie even though i like in my heart of hearts from the second this was announced i just wish he was directing it but again i'm being hypocritical because he's directing an original movie next year so i'm I'm obviously want that more um Man, you're all for the sequels. Don't, don't even you can't even pretend now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> just as I say, it's like watch another Hellraiser movie. Um, but uh, yeah, and it was just awesome. I think that they they really over delivered this movie. Like I I got more trepidation as I got close to it because I was like, oh, this director I know nothing about. You know, she's not made any horror films at all. She's only made like I think one indie film before this, which I had obviously not seen. Um, and so like there is you you know you do start to get these little red flags where it's like okay maybe it's just my excitement for this ip is kind of going to overshadow it and i thought just the character of Candyman was so well nailed in this movie and again it, it to me this retroactively makes the original an even better film um because they expand upon the lore and the legend of Candyman, and i think that when we think about that original movie we think about a guy you know, we think about Tony Todd, and I think this movie changes that in a positive way for me as a fan, because I think of Candyman as so much more than that now, as like what he really should be, and I guess what he was in the original, but he he came out at a time, early 90s, you're coming off the back of obviously the slasher days, and the horror icons, and I think people always wanted to put Candyman in that box, of like, yeah, he's the next one after Freddy and Jason and Michael, and it's like, he no, he's not, he's not, he was never supposed to be a slasher icon um and i think that's what this movie gets right for me is like this really he is a um confusing character in the sense of like he's always been mistold his story is always mistold um and that's like this is what this story is about as well and kind of like the history of the, of the character for the for our lead character um but yeah like the the actual horror sequences i thought were spectacular again something that i was worried about because i didn't know if this director could pull off horror sequences and i thought the art gallery sequence and kind of i mean throughout the whole movie like the use of mirrors was just so good and so strong um seeing these little glimpses of Candyman and kind of like the way it is almost like these two worlds and you're using this mirror as the portal, which again is like, it's a key aspect of the Candyman story is saying his name in front of the mirror. But I don't think we've ever really seen it utilized that well. Like when you think about it and obviously like the sequels, I mean, there's no point even talking about the other two sequels really, <laughs> but like he, he, he does just kind of like rock up. It's in quite the original. clean in the first movie, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, there isn't really much to do with, like, the rules, I guess, of it. And and so I think they, again, they just expand upon this interest in ways and actually, you know, who is he? Why, why is he this boogeyman? Why is he always used in, in the hood, in these poverty-ridden areas as this boogeyman to kind of keep people in check? And... Yeah, I just thought they nailed it all. I think that there are definitely a few things in here that mark it down, and and, and it was 
it was easy for me to mark this one down compared to the next three we're going to talk about because of those things that were a problem um you know there's like a side character again not to re-review the whole movie but there's a side character i think is goddamn dreadful and serves no purpose other than to get these like cringy messages across that just aren't in line with the rest of the film they like i said at the time that character feels like he was written by someone completely different who just like added these lines into the script at the last minute um and I think the ending is like it gets very close to crossing a line that I'm not OK with. But then luckily it steps it back and I did like the ending. So, yeah, it was I, I think this is a weird one because it's probably the movie on the list that I have the most issues with. But it probably it's almost like the Doctor Sleep of this year. <laughs> yeah, because it's delivered like, so strong in certain areas. You, you forgive it for some of its shortcomings and others. Yeah, like if I didn't have these problems with it, it would certainly be on the level of these next three. But because of those issues, I'm very comfortable with it being number four because I think that the other three, I don't have a single issue with the next three movies we're going to discuss. Think thing, a Quiet Place just isn't as good as the original and mm. this does have issues and that's why they're five and four. Yeah, I think, yeah, going into my thoughts on Candyman, um, what, what you said earlier about... Um, Candyman being misrepresented before this this movie mm. um i think there are two horror icons that have been truly misrepresented and being forced as horror icons when really they should be in the shadows more and be more about their story and their mythology and it is Candyman and pinhead mm. um and we've finally Definitely. got Candyman in a place he needs to be and i just pray that they do it with pinhead in the upcoming hellraiser because these characters are incredible but freddie jason michael they are not they are not in your face horror icons and they're being forced that way um but yeah i i loved like i like i cannot be understated how much i loved this being a sequel to the original movie mm. because like you i adore the original movie and i think kind of um <clears throat> the way that they turned this into a sequel was incredible it was subtle, you know, when we had those little moments of, um, you know, the tape and kind of talking about the mythology of Candyman and just how it was one story in a ton of stories of the Candyman mythos, I thought was really well done. It's not the definitive story. It's just another person that fell victim to it. Mm. Um, and then the way that the soundtrack evolved in this movie, I thought was incredible, you know, Candyman, the original movie, has got such a distinct sound to it. And you could just ham it and do the same thing over and over again, which certain horror movie franchises do. And, and, and this didn't do that. It kind of just just evolved it and made it its own thing, but still felt like it was a true successor to it. And I think that really spoke to me. Um, when you actually then talk about the horror of this movie, um, as you said, the, the, the gore, and the, and the way that when Candyman strikes, it's it's very visceral and it's very in your face and it, and it works. And I think the the gallery scene was incredible. The the bathroom scene needed more. You know, we saw that in the trailers, and I thought that could have been really mm. good. Um, and when when it kind of got to the point that you know Candyman's in this art gallery and people, the word is getting out about Candyman and it's becoming bigger again. You know, it 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 kind of stopped working as much. But when it was just these really creepy things, I think the one of the, um, what was she? Was she like a manager 
of the art gallery when when it kind of zoomed out of her apartment and then we saw it um saw yeah. her desk yeah was she like a, she was like a manager or an agent or something wasn't she yeah she's like another um, curator yeah and and when we kind of just zoom out and we've got all these other apartments going on and we can just we just focus on hers and see what's happening i thought that was an incredible image and and again another one that stuck with me throughout the year um so yeah this movie was something that we were incredibly hyped for yet again and really did deliver which was which was just great and i think that's what this year has done for us like as we talk about these movies you know we've mentioned spiral which was a massive disappointment but how many movies delivered when we didn't think they would you know mm. can can we or, or when we just hoped they would you know candy and man and quiet place we had over a year's hype for them and we were they both delivered a goddamn resident evil movie delivered <laughs> old had a terrible trailer and and we didn't think it was going to be good and it delivered you know and i think i think that's what this 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 year has done it's really delivered more consistently than it hasn't um and yeah i mean I don't want to do it. I don't want to go into the top three because I don't want to number these three movies. Because, yeah, they feel like they need they need space, don't they, from like the rest of the list. Where it's like they they, really, these really all do. these movies that we just spoke about, the preceding seven are incredible, and obviously the honorable mm-hmm. mentions as well. But yeah, it really can't be understated that at any point when I first saw these movies, I was like, "Well, that's the movie of the year, like easily." And then you remember I, the other ones, and you're like, "Oh God, yeah. how are we ever going to choose between these three films?" I genuinely thought this movie was going to be my movie of the year when it when it when we when we walked out in the cinema mm-hmm. um because i had a level of buzz that um was only topped by one other cinema experience when i walked out of it which we, we'll get to mm-hmm. um and and yeah when we walked out of this movie i just couldn't believe it because it was the most batshit crazy thing i'd seen and i just wasn't expecting it <laughs> I, I had and again it seems stupid now like you know like we've just spoken about we weren't excited for an m night movie even though we love all of his work um and that's pretty much what happened with this movie um this movie is malignant um it hurts me so bad that this is number three um (laughs) but it but it has to be like that's the thing um but but yeah seeing the trailer and knowing that james wan was returning to horror should have been enough for, for us to be off the rails excited but I don't know what it was, whether it was quite close to Candyman and there were other things going on. But like I was hyped, but I wasn't off the chain hyped. And I kind of just went into this being like, OK, James, what have you got? Like, give me another original IP. Let's see what you can do. And he just punched me in the face from the opening scene and just didn't let up. But this this movie is an absolute roller coaster. It's the most batshit crazy um concept and then when you actually get into the the way it is shot and constructed the way it looks um it 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 truly kind of um just just delivers in a way that um only james one could do i think kind of um the the practical effects of kind of when um we get kind of the the reveal and kind of the the last kind of um what like 20 25 minutes of gabriel just Mm -hmm. going absolutely nuts just just kind of i i'm just sat there in the cinema being like i can't actually absorb it and i haven't seen this movie again which is really (laughs) upsetting because i i almost felt like i couldn't truly absorb it because i was Mm -hmm. like this is just crazy 
Um, and even before we get to that bit, when we're actually just got um, our lead character kind of um, going into the mind of the killer and seeing the kills happen, each one of those was getting better and better and better. And I think um, that was that was something that I kind of um, didn't uh, necessarily kind of realize going into this that that there'd be that many kind of kills that would be that good, and I'd be that that kind of into the story. Um, where where was this set again? Oh man, I can't remember what state like, it was now because it was yeah with the with the cool Detroit like underground. Or isn't it? Where the hell was it? Oh, I'll, I'll look it up in a sec. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but yeah, basically, like it, even though I can't remember now, but it, it made me discover that like there's this whole underground area of this this city, and I I just I was like, is this something James Wan's created, or is this like an actual thing that exists? And when I found out it was an actual thing that exists, I was kind of like kind of like with Black Friday, I was like, how the hell have you not done a horror movie about this? Yeah, this is the most uh, horror movie. It was Seattle. Seattle, that was it. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I was like, this is the most like um, horror movie thing ever, and, and incredible to see, and couldn't believe that it was real. Um, so yeah, and, and I think um, when we talk about horror icons and and kind of you know saying about how Candyman has been you know pushed as that, I, I really think Gabriel. You know, I want to see the figures, I want to see the merch. I think um, as a villain and as a concept, it's just it's just crazy and. Um, when we got to see Gabriel and all all its glory, um, it, it was something. It really was something, and it, and only only a real crazy person can come up with that. I think yeah. that's the thing. This movie is just absolutely bonkers in every way, shape, or form. And I think you, you said, you know, like why weren't we excited for it? Well, I think there were some reasons where where like the trailer was. I think purposefully not only misleading but but kind of shit like it it just looked like oh he's making another kind of insidious conjuring movie which is fine because they're great but I think that's where we were at in terms of like when you talk about the level of fatigue for that subgenre not only has it always been one of our least favorite subgenres but then add the level of fatigue to it and then it's like oh it's great because it's original and it's James Wan but like it's this thing that we don't really like and the fact that you watch the movie and it's not remotely that like we said in our review is intentional he is doing this massive intentional swerve um i think he's totally playing with those conventions throughout this entire movie of like what you expect this film to be and for like the first hour and then once he really does reveal like no i'm just going back to this weird crazy throwback era like i just wanted to make the most ridiculous concept for a horror movie ever and any semi half cooked idea in a horror for a horror film i've ever had i'm just gonna throw into this movie and make it work and i'm gonna have like this weird underground area area and i'm gonna have this weird um like abandoned hospital on this cliff edge that someone's gonna park their car dangerously close to the edge like um you know it's just gonna have all these ridiculous concepts i got these uh, incredible fight sequences that look like they're straight out of upgrade like there's all of this just mental ideas in this one film that under the guise of anyone else would not work in a million years this movie would be a complete and utter car crash and it's only because you've got one of the best guys we've ever had in the history of the genre Mm -hmm. at the helm that he somehow makes this work on a level that is mind-blowing to me um 
And I do think that this is one of the most original things I've ever seen. I think that these next three movies, I truly want to champion because I think all three of them will never get the love that they truly deserve. But out of all the movies, if if you're listening to this podcast, I already know the level of hot, hardcore horror fan that you are. And if for some reason you've not seen any of these, Malignant is hands down the first one I'd say you need to watch as a hardcore horror fan. Because yeah. this is not made for casuals. This is not made for anyone other than the people that want to watch microwave massacre that want to watch like the weird schlocky 80s horror goofy stuff and has a love for that and maybe grew up with that or have experienced yeah, it later if, on in life if you've got a wall of arrow blu-rays and yes you've not malignant what are you doing yeah if you're going to horror festivals like if you're one of those types of fans like we all are you this is what james Wan he made this movie for us like that's the best thing about this you know he didn't make a movie to make a billion dollars like his previous movies he made something that should have never been made and i do want to give um i think is it warner bros were behind it um i do want to give them credit because it's a shame that the movie obviously didn't do well and obviously it's difficult in a pandemic world and obviously it was on hbo max as well so it's very hard to even more harder to gauge but like i'm just happy this movie exists and i'm thankful that at least someone in some room the people that give out money decided to give james one this check for this film because that is a world i want to live in when (laughs) when people like james one is getting the money to make this because this is an expensive film to make like it has to be you can't make this on a budget just due to the level of craziness and different locations and props and set design and all of that stuff visual effects choreography all of that stuff this is an expensive horror movie because of just how mental it is and so like i'm so thankful this got made it is truly truly special movie and i think that it's one that had you said this was your favorite movie of the year i'd be like that is worthy that is a worthy pick (laughs) sure um but it just shows you how ridiculous this year is because i feel like we just spoke about our movie of the year and yeah we have two more to go two more movies to talk about (laughs) um and next up is one that yes is weirdly enough has uh like most weeks on this show already been mentioned about three or four times um it feels only right that you're talking about it yeah so kind of uh eagle-eared listeners would have been like well i'm assuming this one's gonna come at some point and uh, this was as far as i could push this one <laughs> i had to settle for number two now mike obviously loves this movie as well um but it is of course the one that is the most dearest to my heart probably out of all the movies we've covered for the show at this point um which is of course pg himself psycho Goreman. um i really feel like this was the movie that i just needed this year right at the start of the year to kind of like keep my love my passion for film alive um because it, it was a tough year. yeah and it was one that i don't even know where this journey began where i you know i remember watching that leprechaun movie and being like as someone who loves leprechaun i'm like that guy <laughs> nailed what i think a leprechaun movie should be and it was great and then he was making this weird again science fiction inspired movie that just had such a ridiculous name in concept with the kind of whole pg thing and what they were going for i was like man what is this i hope we get to see this at some point and i remember covering it in the news when it got delayed 
Um, do you remember when it was like it was mm-hmm. gonna premiere at a festival? Um, yeah. I think it was the Toronto International Film Festival, and it kind of got pulled at the last minute. And like we talked about all that stuff, and like in hindsight now, I'm so glad that we've ha- captured the whole journey for long term listeners, the long adventure that is psycho gorman you know this wasn't a movie that we just happened to see on demand because a lot of people did check this out i'm thankful for the people that did and obviously it came to shudder later on but i don't think a lot of people had that long like i was so hyped for this movie mm. and almost like ridiculous levels that to the point where i was like an on-demand movie is never gonna equal that and and even as someone that was ridiculously hyped, I never thought it would be one of my all-time favorite movies, um, which it ended up being. It, it's just ridiculously fun. I've watched it at least six or seven times at this point, and I don't think I'm ever going to stop watching it. Like It is always a good time from the second it starts with that opening crawl with the voiceover. And everything about this cast i adore i think steve kostansky is an absolute legend for pulling this off and again you want to talk about budgetary restraints <laughs> to pull this off with like the money that they had is mind-blowing and this is a guy who has just worked his ass off for years doing every single aspect and job you could find in the horror genre obviously he is mostly a special effects guy that kind of like he's most well known for and obviously, yeah. obviously is now transitioning into being like a writer and director and he again you talk about the people that you want to champion you talk about the guy who directed resident evil is clearly a resident evil fan steve is one of us but he's just way more talented than us like he he is not one of us he he is way more (laughs) of course but like the passion and the love is there and i think if he you know if he wasn't talented he'd be making a podcast and but he is talented so he gets to make the movies that luckily we get to enjoy and um i just love everything about this movie It is so goddamn hilarious so many amazing moments moments all of the callbacks and i i really worry about comedies because there's a lot of comedies i watch that it's like that first time viewing is so strong because you don't know the jokes and then it's like there's a couple of movies that i've tried to rewatch, and they just don't remotely hold up and i feel like when you get a movie like this, which in my mind is already that Shaun of the Dead level, where yeah. I'm like, I know I'm going to find these jokes funny for the rest of my life. Um, and obviously that's way more true with that movie because I've been watching it for 17 years and I still find those jokes as funny as I did in 2004 as I do now. Um, but And I hope that that's still the case. But I mean, I've watched it seven times in a year and I uh, even just talking about it now, I'm like, I need to watch PG tonight. Um, <laughs> I, I just love it. It fills me with joy when I think about it. Like I say, to me it's a franchise um and i hope we get more of it i've already kickstarted the comic and i'm really looking forward to getting that in the new year i'll definitely be talking about that on the podcast and just any way that we can keep life in pg gives me life um so i hope and pray that if you're listening to this podcast right now and i haven't really talked too much about the actual movie in terms of the plot or anything because i mean we're not worried about spoilers at this point it's totally fine it's all on the table but like i just want any everyone to see this movie who can and experience the joy and love that i have for it um, the, the thing is no one can synopsize this movie uh, no. apart from apart from maybe maybe steve kazanski yeah. no no one else can um <clears throat> and i think that's the thing that um this movie is just sometimes when you watch something and it's funny because this person is just on another level of crazy and they're putting it on film. And I think kind of, you know, we just spoke about malignant, which isn't funny, but it's a whole nother page of crazy. Mm. And then this is another page of crazy, but also hilarious. And it's just someone that 
I'm like, how do you have in your head this universe? <laughs> and you know, what the PG, creature designs. Like, how do you come up with all that stuff? Exactly. When you've got PG and you've got, um, you know, just him in general and his concept. But then when you get all of the other characters and when you get that round table, mm. it's just each character gets more and more just crazy and you're just laughing because i'm like uh, and it's almost like you, it breaks the the fourth wall where i'm sat there laughing thinking my god i'd have loved to be on set that day <laughs> yeah when like when they were just filming that and there was just all of these things like how how is that like a professional movie environment and the answer mm. is it wasn't <laughs> um but it, but it but it it bloody worked and it came out well and i think um you know, I, I was waiting for you to say Shaun of the Dead because that's what I was going to say. That, um, you know, that movie delivers on a level of joke that, that you could just watch again and again and again. Mm. And there are certain movies, and it's almost like as the joke happens, you say it with the character, but then you still laugh equally as hard. And that is incredibly rare and very rarely happens. And I think... Um, PG will be doing that. And I think it is just one of these things where um, the, you know, we've spoken a lot about Steve. What we haven't spoken about is the cast. Yeah. And I think that the cast is, is what makes this movie as well. I think obviously the portrayal of PG um, bringing a voice to that character and a voice that delivers that comedic timing was essential. Um, Greg is, is kind of, <laughs> you know oh it's so good to me as as i watch this movie more and more greg is the character that i just can't help but love he's just he's just the worst yeah greg is the worst oh, there's so many and, good bits like when he's like cooking that dry chicken and like yeah. he's just staring down his wife it's just oh yeah, it's and so he's just good like i cooked this meal for you and then she's like but you broke the microwave he's like you're welcome <laughs> he's just like and when he sat there having a shit when they come to him like <laughs> yeah. the, it's just like everything about him is just <laughs> is just he 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 is yeah i i think like as this as the rewatches go on he becomes my favorite character mm. um but they're all so good and i think um and i think that's what makes this movie that this is just this weird thing that that you you latched onto just because it kind of it, it sounded like it could be cool and it had a quirky trailer but but just could never had any idea that it would be this batshit crazy yeah um and the fact that kind of um like you say steve gets it and he he gets horror but he also gets like franchise and and what pg could be and he's yeah. already built it to a level that you know you said it feels like a franchise to you that's because that's it that's his intent mm. you know there's a there's a comic kickstarter there's all of this lore there's all of this crazy stuff that's going on that he's getting out there and he is he is making pg become a franchise and and i really hope he wills the sequel into existence because he deserves it and and we deserve it quite frankly well and the thing about this as well is like god my god when you talk about endless possibilities <clears throat> like he's not going to be put in a box as a filmmaker if he if he wants to make more pg because 
there is so much to this universe, to this world. Like, there's so many different eras. There's so many different types of movie. You can make something a bit more hardcore. You can make something very more lighthearted. Like you say, you could make easily make a TV show. You could easily make a prequel. Like, you yeah. could have it be just be focused on the kids or not, or have none of that return in family. Like, there's so many things that you can do once you kind of, like, peel away the layers that is PG. And I think that's the thing that's so mind-blowing is, like, I thought it would just be, oh, here's this goofy character and he's having and he's having fun with these kids interacting and i'll just have a good time that week and it'll be like a, yeah that was a fun comedy and then i'll move on to the next film i didn't expect to have a film that was a comedy that would really affect me and, and stay with me to the point like mm. that i think about it every week and it gets mentioned every week and rightly so where it's like it's just so so strong i just I don't know what it is about this movie. I don't even know if it makes sense to some people how much we love this film. Um, it doesn't. It's one of those things that it just spoke to us on mm. such a deep level that, you know, there, there will be people that watch this movie that just doesn't get it. You know, like I said, I think kind of when we look at Malignant <clears throat> and you say, well, if you're a hardcore horror fan, you should watch that movie. Like, I definitely agree with that. I think you should watch PG. But I, I get it, like, if it doesn't, you know, it, it's not going to deliver to that level for everyone, but but it just, it spoke so personally to us. Yeah. So please, um, please make PG2. That's all I ask for next year. I'll, t- I'll take I'll take every other sacrifice that needs to be made. But if the we get to... Is, <laughs> we have to get to a point that we get to PG13. Oh, yes, I know. Well, it listen, strap, strap in, because we've <laughs> only had one part so far. Um, but it's fine. Then, then there was one it's time there is only one left so that was um, it that was the top 10 thanks for listening no pg was not the movie of the what? year there was one other there was I one quit. other there was a... uh, i don't think you will when you hear about the movie <laughs> um because this movie knocked us off our ass and i think um i'm i'm so happy that this is our movie of the year i'm mm. so happy that this delivered because the filmmaker is a filmmaker that has already been mentioned on this show, um, and uh, not in name but in movie that 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 he's made. And I think um, you know we've been in love with his movies for you know twenty odd years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last year Saint Maud missed out on the number one spot being a British movie, and you know because we're going to give the movie to the best the best movie to the best movie yeah um but this year the movie of the year does go to a british movie with which fills me with so much pride um and i'm so happy and and yeah this year's movie of the year is last night in soho edgar wright's masterpiece making a horror movie coming back to the genre making a horror movie and it delivered on just every single level i think um i think when i think when i when i looked at the three movies of what kind of you know malignant pg and last night in soho and kind of really had to break down which one was the best it i think when when we landed on soho it was because this movie is kind of perfection in almost every way it's a true filmmaker's art form you know everything he everything that's done in this is is exquisite you look at the way this movie um sounds you know the 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 actual soundtrack is just bonkers you know only only something edgar wright can put together and get the money to put together you look at the 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 sound design beyond that 
you look at the way this movie looks in modern day and and back um when we jump back in time um the cast the acting there there isn't there isn't a single thing that isn't isn't a 10 out of 10 in my eyes um and then when we actually break down the story i think kind of um you know the lead character's kind of story is is just She's so believable as this innocent character that, that, but that is also incredibly strong and and is willing to kind of go into this world and embrace this world. And um, when you've got kind of that um, juxtaposition with Anya Joy, uh, Anya Taylor Joy's kind of um, just just powerhouse role, it's the role that we've been waiting for her to do. I think. Um, you know, we've loved her in horror for, for a long, long time, but to see her in this role, being the symbol that she is, I, I think it, it's just perfect. Um, and then when we actually got into the horror and we got into kind of what happens to her character and what happens to to um, in the modern day and kind of everything, it, it just all wrapped together perfectly. Um, and I think it was the cinema experience for me that... Um, pretty much the opening scene in the movie when we kind of um have her in the the handmade dress that she's made at a newspaper and it's just this really feel happy song and she's dancing and everything's good i i kind of instantly just went oh this movie's gonna be a fucking banger <laughs> and and i think like we've spoken about that before on the podcast where like that happens so rarely you know malignant was a movie that i was sat there like oh shit james Wan is doing it like can he keep doing it can he keep doing it but I think I think the last time it truly happened was with um, with us when I kind of went, oh, fuck, like I'm going to sit back and I'm just going to enjoy it. And that's exactly what I did with Soho. I literally from that opening scene, I just I just took a like a deep breath and just sat back and was like, I'm in safe hands. This guy is a true just filmmaking genius and he's going to deliver a spectacle. And that's exactly what he did. Well, it's what happens when you're in the hands of someone who's so purposeful with every single mm. detail. So, like, he, you say, he from, doesn't waste a second. No, from the from the opening scene, you can tell that, like, okay, every inch of this shot and this performance and the sound that's being used and the lighting and everything is so perfectly crafted and fine tuned. And he's trying to get the image that's in his wonderful brain to our eyeballs onto this big screen. Um, and that's his job as, as a director, is getting out these amazing concepts and ideas from his head and portraying them on the screen. And I think that is why you just feel comfortable, don't you? Because you're like, okay, oh yeah, it's Edgar Wright. Oh yeah, he's done this countless times. Mm. And oh, he's making a horror movie. Turns out I like those. So yeah. I'm probably going to love this film. <laughs> it's, it's almost unfair, though, because he really doesn't waste a second of your time. And like you say, every every part of this movie is extremely well-crafted. And just, just so few people can live up to that level. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, for me, what this came down to when picking a number one was... Malignant is like the best hardcore horror film of the year. Mm -hmm. I think Psycho Goreman is the one that I will personally champion the most because I feel like it is my duty. And then across the board, Soho for me was the best film I saw in 2021. And yeah. it's mind-blowing because 
yeah, it's a horror movie and it was the best film I saw. So by default, it's the number one horror film of the year. And I think that that doesn't always happen to me. You know, I love horror and we watch it every single week. But there's plenty of years that go by when, you know, like a Tarantino movie, for example, was, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was my favorite movie that year. And there's been other big movies by other people in different genres. But I think this was just by far i was like when i thought about all my cinema experiences and all the movies i've seen i was like no no no, this was the best i was like if i had to sit down to anyone and be like this is the best well-crafted you know if i had to nominate one movie to represent the current state of cinema i would nominate last night in soho i think it is like you say just exceptional in every single area from a writing standpoint it's so creative um the the acting is just ridiculous from the four leads and they truly are you know they're obviously not on as screen as much as thomason is but they're all brilliant in their roles um Again, we talk about score here, and I think it is unfortunate that we probably don't have an individual award for it. But yeah. this has been a ridiculous year for score in films. You know, I think Candyman is definitely up there and would certainly be in consideration for it. But I mean, Edgar Wright is across film What's only. Yeah, he's only beaten by Tarantino. You know, that's not a shabby place to be in, is it? In terms of like, well, you're probably the second, certainly of the modern era of the last, you know, 20 years when I've been consistently watching movies, 20, you know, 25, 30, uh, 20 to he, 25 he, years. He, carry on, he carries on like this. He could take the number one spot as well. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, <laughs> if Quentin sticks to his guns and we've only got one more movie and then it's Edgar's career. But yeah, it's just his melding of music and, and image and moving image is spectacular and it was you know the best part of baby driver by an absolute mile and i mm-hmm. think when he took those talents and then be like oh yeah i kind of like sort of action heist movies and obviously i really like this movie because it's so well crafted but i'm like oh no you're gonna make a horror movie and you're gonna also set it in london um yeah. in the heart of london and show off london um <laughs> in a way which i think is a real great representation of the city um for people who haven't been um because i do think that there is so yeah exactly like there's there's so much to london um said it in our review that kind of like i always have a love for london because we've been there a lot but i do think as i've gotten older it's become less interesting mainly due to kind of like the commercialization and just how expensive everything is and so i think he harpers back to a time when it wasn't like that you know when he's when he's showing you the good side of london he's showing you that like no this is a place where dreams came true and and anyone could make it you know it's almost like our version of the american dream is like what london was back then of like oh no you could you know you you could be the next Silla black that that could happen and i i thought that aspect was just beautiful and so well done and again it comes from a place of love that's been consistent across a lot of movies we've spoke about here is like a real passion for the subject matter and to me i don't think you can fake it in this day and age uh, at least i don't think anyone in this list is a faker you know i don't think it's like oh yeah this person was just did this movie because because whatever like i think you have to have a real passion for what you're making these days and like we've discussed time and time again, whether it's the guy who made One Cut of the Dead, who's just trying to has a passion for indie filmmaking, the guy who directed Raccoon, uh, Resident Evil, but like Edgar Wright has a specific passion for London and for Soho. He's taught, I've heard him talk about Soho for the last decade, and so like when he when he was actually like, no, I'm going to make my next movie here. Again, when you talk about like we see a lot of American stuff, and especially with someone like Edgar, who when Edgar was at his best, he's so mm. British in every single way and so to see him almost come back to us after his last couple of movies well the thing is as well 
this is this is the man that um rocks up to the Prince Prince Charles just to watch Shaun of the Dead, you know, mm. fifteen years after it comes out. Yeah. It's like he's he he is in love with the city and so for him to go back to those roots and make a movie that you know is so special to him and then you know works on a level for us is just it's just something that yeah just just stands above the rest he's also the biggest advocate in the world for cinema which i will always it didn't even if i thought all of his movies were dog shit i would still love edgar wright for that one reason because i'd be like to me he is the one guy out there when you see so many different takes nowadays about where film is going about you know the rise of streaming platforms and all this and that and people getting pulled in different directions people like completely going back on things they said purely just because you know money gets thrown at them and i feel like edgar has been so consistent with his messaging throughout i'm a filmmaker who makes films for the cinema um and he made a big screen horror film that is gorgeous on every level that has some of the best actors in the world um there is a horror film like that's the great part about it you know it's not it's not the most horror film of the year i think that goes to malignant again um (laughs) but there is horror in here and and again we talked about it how it actually was some of the most effective horror in the of Mm. the year in terms of like again it's not just gore it's not just like oh that was a cool kill or well crafted it actually had some weight and some like emotional meaning to it and i think that it's probably only like old and soho really that made me feel that way about certain characters and what they were going through um because yeah there were some real emotional moments and when this movie takes its dark turn and when it really reveals itself as a horror movie and i'm like no no this is what the movie's about this is why it's set in soho this is why it's about sandy's story i was like man this is ballsy like i didn't expect this turn um i didn't expect the turn to be so dark and it was just so well done um that's the thing like when you when you look at what soho was back then it was a place that you could become the next set of black but it was also a place that it could chew you up and spit you out and there there was a hundred people that um were all equally as talented probably that all could have been that next thing and 99 of them got treated this way and, and one of them got made into the next star or that number could even be higher and and I think kind of the film industry has shied away from what, you know, what that world was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think kind of Edgar has shined a light on it and, and kind of said, you know, this is the dark side of it. And yeah, London's beautiful and, and, and it was beautiful back then, but it, but it also had a real dark undertone and there's a real, you know, in every, every room in London that you go into, someone's died, mm-hmm. you know, and um, you know, that, message hits with me and i think it is one of these things where we shouldn't just you know taint the past and say that that it that it's always dark but it's saying well that there is darkness as well and and you know edgar has has shown us that but in a in a in an incredibly beautiful way yeah i also think as well the fact that it's showing this side of the british film uh british entertainment industry is obviously Mm. super interesting for us because again we've seen in recent years obviously this huge kind of deconstruction of hollywood and Mm. this realization of what's really happening and even though that was always there like you know from i can't even remember when it was first established but there was always that idea of the cd producer wasn't there from like Mm. for years ago and it was always almost like a tongue-in-cheek thing and obviously when when i became aware of like people behind the camera i i was pretty much aware of like that side of it do you know what i mean like it was it was it was prevalent 
I remember like in uh, it's funny because like in Scream Free they talk about it mm. loads, don't they? Like it's funny because oh, that is literally yeah, yeah. one of the storylines in that movie as well. But um, so yeah, like that is a thing. But I do think with England, it's they there hasn't been these great deconstructions. I think of like okay, what is really going on in these media places and stuff like the the BBC is a great example of like mm. it's this British institution. It's one of our most famous exports across the world in terms of media is the BBC. And then when you really think think about the history it's it's mind-boggling the amount of like awful and disgusting crimes that have taken place there um mm. and so i do think that again you could make an amazing horror story about that as well truly because it's some of the most disgusting things ever and i think that yeah with soho i just i don't know for some reason i didn't expect this movie to do that i think when you look at the trailer and you look at how glamorous this movie is oh you think I, it's just gonna be pretty yeah, you think like, oh, no, he, she is just going to be living vicariously through Sandy. You know, it is just going to be like, oh, I'm a bit of a misfit, but I can live out, my, you know, my dreams. And obviously it is a horror movie, but like you think, oh, yeah, it's just going to show, you, you know, another one of these kind of pop stars of the time. But yeah, just the way it turns almost with just a level of um, disdain is what when it really turns when when Sandy starts getting treated the way she does, I was almost you know taken aback by it in terms of how much they showed it and being like oh yeah she's just like worthless to these people now Mm. like you know she is literally just another cog in the machine and we thought she was special because as a viewer she's been portrayed to be special it's this amazing actress um but the reality is you're not going to live that life you know unless you are that one in a billion person who gets so lucky so yeah this is just like i say everything about this movie is great i think the the story like we've just spoken about is ridiculously good and so well laid and of course because it's edgar wright he's genuinely always been one of the best writers of all time but then yeah this guy's craft this guy's filmmaking craft the the fact that he makes me i get to see london on the big screen and that's a rarity these days um and yeah he makes me he he makes me proud to be british like i'm i'm super happy that the world gets to experience edgar wright's talents and that we do as well definitely man definitely what a good time yeah and that like you said uh that is pretty uh crazy for us our first british movie that uh wins our movie of the year which is uh obviously a british director it's, it's pretty pretty awesome to see like i don't know if this will ever happen again because it's hard enough anyway winning these awards for mm-hmm. anyone but then when you're edgar wright doing it it's like oh he's i mean he's the best british director anyway you know there's mm-hmm. a couple of, obviously that is ballsy because there's you know christopher nolan there's plenty of other people but like i don't think christopher nolan's gonna make a horror movie anytime soon unless he just suddenly <laughs> oh, wants to unless he just suddenly wants to not make any money on his films <laughs> um COVID, movies aren't making money anyway take a risk christopher come on <laughs> yeah maybe yeah if he was like well t- i waited 10 years to release tenet and it still didn't make any money yeah exactly um, just do a do a five million horror movie just do it <laughs> it would be hilarious to see how many different scenes he could get going on at the same time in a horror film <laughs> um, no more than quiet place no um but yeah that was our top 10 horror films of 2021 uh, we will take a short break and we will be right back So yeah, now the sort of the bulk of the show is over. We just have to have a little bit of fun now with some little awards. Um, loosen up, 
Yeah, obviously, yeah, we've been doing this since the start and we've been consistent with these awards, even though we keep talking about we should add like best score, best director, but we've been consistent. And and that's the one thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's the one thing that we cannot be accused of not being as consistent. Um, So, yeah, the uh, eight awards um, we've given out since their inception. Consistently wrong, consistently right. We are nothing but consistent. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, let's get straight into it. Like, I guess to say off the bat, just as one precursor, like these may feel like we're picking from our top 10 because obviously that's just the the you know the beast as it were like mm. these are our favorite movies but these everything we saw was in consideration and yeah. out of these categories for people that don't know we pick one winner with two runners up um a lot of these character car- categories normally had about 10 nominations yeah. some of them had like over 25 nominations <laughs> it was begin. insane yeah we we went from the spectrum of this year's kind of movies for sure yeah and there was plenty um, of stuff that were you know maybe even still made the list but was certainly in the running that like have not remotely been mentioned today um yeah. But, but obviously yeah. there's a lot of return and stuff so we won't have to go over the same stuff as much no, <laughs> no. so i guess where we start on best surprise yeah best surprise which again, so, this is um, a context award, right? Because surprise mm-hmm. means different for everyone. So it can yeah. be we thought this movie was going to be terrible and it was great. You know, it could just be yeah. like a we knew we, nothing about this the, movie. Character turning up blew our minds. Mm. You know, um, Candyman being a sequel to the original movie. Yeah. You know, and anything like that. You know, just whatever we decided. So um, yeah, I guess kind of starting off with this. Um, the one of the runners up was resident evil welcome mm. to raccoon city um the fact that this movie made we could almost top- a, yeah i was gonna say we could almost say that that movie making yeah. our top 10 was the biggest yeah. surprise <laughs> that's the biggest surprise that the fact that this movie was as good as it was that it that it truly felt like a a, a worthy cinema version of the video game franchise that is my favorite video game franchise like that is is great so enough said yeah for sure and i think next up is again like the different side of it of a movie that i genuinely ha- thought was going to be bad based upon the trailer uh which was old like we said before terrible trailer for a really great film we didn't mention it just in our discussion but it has been a weird year for trailers because mm-hmm. you look at last night in soho which was my favorite trailer of the year and it and it to me it perfectly encapsulated what was so great about the movie sure. and then you get something like malignant that was whilst was not a bad trailer certainly wasn't a good trailer but in my eyes was definitely misleading um yeah. on purpose and i'm really thankful for that because it actually added to the the movie um but this was just a bad trailer i just i don't get it but i'll i think i've seen it again but i do i almost want to watch old again and then watch the trailer again and be like will it trick me into thinking because this trailer just sucked didn't it and it, it just mm-hmm. killed a hype for old which like you say we should have been hyped for because it's an m night movie um but yeah that was our runner-up and then what was the winner there's only one winner here, and that is um, the fact that Ghostbusters Afterlife <laughs> delivered and was a great movie. How dare you ruin the integrity <laughs> of these awards? I'm going to mute your mic. <laughs> <sighs> Best surprise should be Psycho Batman not getting number one. <laughs> Best Best surprise was Malignant. Yes. We, we are so surprised that James Wan can make a good horror film. Because... As weird as that sounds, <laughs> I think um, it was the fact that this movie was just 
it's the movie no, itself. No the movie one, itself is a surprise. Yeah, no one could expect this movie. Um, only James Wan knew what he was doing, and everyone else was just, you know, had no idea. Uh, you know, I, I cannot believe that anyone walked into that cinema with the vaguest idea about what they were about to witness. Mm. Um, you know, I remember when we walked out of Midsummer. And I saw people looking like they were got off a roller coaster and were going to vomit. I think, you know, I wish I'd have seen people walking out of Malignant just being like, the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> like, from the opening scene, it was just like, well, what is going on? You, no one went to see it. <laughs> yeah, that is the problem. That's why I didn't get to have that experience for Malignant, but I did for Midsummer, thankfully. Yeah. Um, because it's the one time I wanted to see people. Yeah. I'm quite happy sitting in the cinema on my own, but I just like <laughs> to see the reactions afterwards. And and yeah, th- that is why it's our surprise of the year because it 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 was just you know fr- from minute to minute. And when we got the reveal of Gabriel, and when we got kind of you know that whole scene of just craziness, like I couldn't have even after seeing the beginning and the middle, I still couldn't see that the end was going to be that crazy this movie just kept amping amping it up i thought it was at 11 and and (laughs) apparently apparently it wasn't i also wanted to give them this award purely for thanking them for that trailer because Mm. i do think that for me i would love it if this happened with every film we saw where it's like the trailer is a complete misrepresentation of the movie so i don't get spoiled and i think that especially right now we're we're we're, when we're in the midst of my most hated market experience ever for a movie that is like literally making me angry before i even see spider-man which is one of my most anticipated movies of the year purely because of the marketing and nothing to do with Mm. the actual talented people that made the film um um, so I just want to give a shout out to whoever made that trailer for Malignant because it was a, not a great trailer, but ultimately yeah, I think it made the movie better. Um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. And so, yeah, going on now to uh, Best Death, which mm-hmm. was a stacked category this year. Oh, my goodness. Um, one of the better ones, I would say, mm-hmm. um, and one of the better years for Best Death. Um, so we have a couple of sort of quick honorable mentions here, breaking our own rules, because we have mm-hmm. to just give these a shout out. And this is the one category that is unfortunately impossible to avoid spoilers um because we're talking about characters we're talking about literal deaths so yeah so i'll say the the least the the thing that we're going to talk about and then i'll give it a little while if you can skip but basically (laughs) the first honorable mention was from chucky um obviously the tv show and we we obviously discussed it in our spoiler um filled chats recently but yeah the the kind of one of i think it was episode five or six but just a real shocking death in in brie uh junior's mom got kind of getting pushed to her death by chucky um i think to me it matched two things which were it wasn't an emotional death like it was a little bit but i'm not massively attached to the character but it was def it was hugely shocking because i did not think that she was gonna die then given Mm. how much i guess uh, to me she had an ongoing storyline in terms of like her cancer stuff i was like there's still a lot more for this character um and so for her to be killed off i was like wow that is really shocking but then the way it looked was just phenomenal like for a tv budget to have such a sickly 
choreographed death and again not shy away like when she's when chucky's running towards her against the glass i was like oh yeah we're just gonna see like a you know from the hallway someone fall out of a window yeah so like we know that they've just fell onto a crash mat like one foot below but but like it was so much more than that it was i'm like i don't know how they did this like it must have been a lot of visual effects because it just looked spectacular it looked really good yeah yeah it was fantastic um do you want to talk about the other honorable mention yeah, I mean, this one was almost two honorable mentions, but we stuck, we <laughs> went with one of them in the end, and it's Possessor. Yeah. Um, the intro. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just what an intro to the film. I don't think a movie. I mean, maybe Malignant is the only other movie that got close to punching me in the face like as quickly as what Possessor did. Mm. You know, you think of something like Last Night in Soho, how happy that opening is, <laughs> yeah. and and you know, then you have Possessor, um, you know, kind of establishing what this world is and the fact that she's there to kind of kill this person, and then the way that she just, you know, you kind of you, you know. Maybe it's just us because we've played the Hitman game so much. <laughs> but like, you know, you, when you think of like, oh, there's a big party and you need to kill this person. It's like, oh, OK, you need to have a craft with this. You know, let's poison their drink. <laughs> let's let's get this wait until they go to the bathroom to kill them. Let's, you know, have a blackout, a, pull the fire alarm. Let's do something clever. And yeah, this is what happens you know, if you don't know how to play Hitman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you don't know how to play Hitman, what you do is you just grab a knife, you walk up to the person, and you stab them 27 times in the chest, yeah. which is how this movie begins. <laughs> and oh, then what so you crazy. Do, then you just wait for the police to come and kill you. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's just insane, and, and it's crazy that it misses out, you know, and, and we are cheating a little bit, but we've included them, but they're not in our top three yeah um because you know we've still tra- stayed true that we still have named our top three yeah we we so many of these categories we had four at one point and we were like mm-hmm. we just have to change it to four because there's just too much good shit and yeah it's but for some it dumb just... reason we picked three and so and we're sticking with three <laughs> and again consistency that's all we're after um that's but yeah i guess the, the first official kind of runner-up um is once again from the chucky tv show mm-hmm. um which again just shows the consistent quality of kills in, in such a great tv show um and yeah we again we talked about it very recently but episode seven um when junior kills his father logan with the chucky doll um again wow. this again ticks every box for me because i think yeah. that the viscerally it looks spectacular i think creative wise it's one of my favorite kills um again like on paper it just seems ridiculous that no one has killed someone with a chucky doll um but it hasn't happened until now and but then this this did have emotional weight like i again mm-hmm. the journey of junior was definitely my favorite across all the kids in the show and i think that this was like the pinnacle of this character of like oh no like chucky has finally indoctrinated one of these children and has made them make a decision that they're going to regret and it's killing their own father it's just it was great it was such a great pivotal moment you know we both talked about this being our favorite episode of chucky as well and yeah it was just fantastic it was it was the look on Chucky's face yes. as he was like getting smashed into <laughs> you know when it, as he was getting smashed into Devin Sawyer's like you know face and and the way Chucky was just grinning and that little like sound of you, you know just pure joy it, it just really made it yeah um, 
but yeah, like with with best death, they become you know this is a again a, a wide category of kind of is it the most gory? Is it the most kind of um, creative? Like we've just talked about, or is it the most impactful? And I think kind of this is the most impactful death for me, and and that's why it makes the honorable mentions list. Um, uh, again, we're talking about TV. And mm. it's the first time we're talking about Midnight Mass, and it yes. is the death of Riley. Mm. Um, I mean, the death of Riley is basically an entire episode of this TV show. Yeah, and and, um, and again, the the standout episode. Yeah, and I think um, throughout the episode, I was moved to tears with the way that these two characters kind of described their feelings and the way they felt about things, and. Um, just truly beautiful and then when we ended up on the the boat and kind of even at that point i didn't know what was going to happen i felt like i was both characters on the boat that were still Mm. trying to figure things out and how things were going to go down and i pretty much figured out the same time that what riley was doing yeah um and when i figured it out and when i realized what he'd done i was like oh no riley and like I just knew it was the end, and then I had these few seconds, and then he goes up in flames, and it was just, it was in, incredibly impactful. And it was the fact that he didn't just go up in flames. We got to see Riley's death through his eyes, the way that he described throughout the whole episode what happens when you die, kind of his his victim, the the kind of drunk driving accident victim. We finally get to see her not mangled we get to see her looking normal and embracing riley and kind of you know having that moment with him and kind of it 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 kind of it moves me now just talking about it Mm. um and i don't i don't really i can't even fully go into what midnight mass means for me until i've seen it again because it, it really did affect me on on a lot of different levels and and it's definitely something that i'm going to rewatch. and this is the standout moment of that show yeah i think it's just gone up in our estimation since our conversation hasn't it like it's one of those yeah. things that has really stayed in our minds and we've had a lot of chats about it off the podcast because it is so special mm. but yeah to me this is like the most unique death we've ever had on this award um, because it's purely kind of character and performance based. And I think that it's also one of the only ones that you can't watch out of context. Like I, you can't even just watch that episode. You have to watch the whole show up until this point to really get why this is on here. Um, Why it's, like you say, it's ridiculously emotional. I think it's so driven by the two actors performances throughout the entire episode. And I, I think it is when you talk about Mike Flanagan as mm-hmm. a writer director and what he is so good at his his level of getting like emotional weight, especially when regarding life and death is is consistent throughout his best work. It was there in Hill House. It was there in Dr. Sleep and it's there in Midnight Mass. And I yeah. think that that is what he does better than anyone I've ever seen in terms of these thought provoking moments when you're at your ends you know when you know that when this part of your life is over um and and what's going to happen next mm-hmm. and i think that this was i i think the pinnacle of him getting that across in any of yeah. his things is the journey of riley um it's oh, a man. really it's a really sad story um 
that I think that when when the fo- when the show starts with that kind of drink driving moment, yeah. I remember thinking to myself, like Flanagan, you're a psycho because <laughs> I, I couldn't believe that he was making the lead character have a part of him that I hated so much. Yeah. Because I feel like that's some, one of the easiest things to hate in a person is if they're a drink driver, and so like for him to then get to the point that I was this emotional about that character dying just shows you how impactful and how well written that show was mm-hmm. um but yeah kind of going into the, the opposite no, the completely changing gears um from something that is not emotional <laughs> but is certainly memorable and spectacular um it had to be psycho gore man when talking about best death again there is so many ridiculous moments in terms of amazing kills like from the arrival of kind of pg in the warehouse um and what he does to that one guy and then it gets destroyed and he's like that was my masterpiece like there's just so many great moments um obviously all yeah i was gonna say all the stuff with like biocop is exceptional and obviously his death is brilliant and obviously that entire sequence of him fighting the uh the paladins of obsidian but yeah the the conclusion of that sequence um which is in fact the warrior's death um is our best death of the year i think again it is a perfect um realization of what psycho gorman is which is amazing effects practical Mm -hmm. effects but also perfectly mixed with the style of humor and the tone of the movie and also incredibly well set up because this is a joke that is set up at the start of the movie um and referencing a warrior's death and like oh you know you children should never see that it is the worst thing and all this stuff and you think to yourself okay i hope we get that you know it seems like it's going to be a callback Mm. but then to to live up and especially after the sequence of events when we get that that sequence of him fighting and we get all the different kills like it's so ridiculous and hilarious but they really did save the best to last and it was like it's one of those moments where the pacing is so perfect from steve because he knew how great this was and the the placement of the warrior's death is what's so key is it had to be the finale of the sequence and be like oh by the way i've got one more trick up my sleeve and just have this ridiculous special effect of this giant mouth eating this guy while he's like screaming in agony like again it's just so funny it's so pg i think it perfectly encapsulates it's like in a nutshell the one sequence of why i love pg it's this one scene yeah yeah i think that's the thing is that um it's it's just from the mind of a psycho this this death (laughs) just just isn't a thing that should exist no how do you write this exactly how do you write this and 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 that's what pg is it's this entire movie of these moments where i'm like you're a crazy person and, and i fucking love you and 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 this is like the epitome of it where i'm like i didn't ever think i wanted to see this mm. but it, but it was the death of the year um and and yeah and 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 that's why it just kind of stands out as as like you say if if you needed to epitomize what pg is it is this death and just how funny but also incredibly well made it is the practical effects of it really are the thing that that put made it a number one spot i think if if this didn't look as good as what it did it wouldn't it wouldn't be there just because of the concept it wouldn't be there but it but it was the 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 visual representation that he managed to get it out there what what was in his brain he got on film perfectly yeah for sure um 
Now we're into yeah. the interesting, the big ones. Mm. So I guess um, best best male performance. We've got mm. a honourable mention. Do you want to go into that? Yeah. So again, you know, a huge fan of this guy and his contribution to the incredible movie. But I think it's purely just based upon screen time that he's just mm-hmm. not in the movie that much. Um, which is Matt Smith um, playing Jack in Last Night in Soho. Um, again, he's he's easily the one who kind of contributed the least to his project out of all of these people we're about to list. But I do think it's. Again, I, I don't want to detract from the performance because I think that on paper it seems like an easy character to portray, yeah. um, but you Piece have to do it. Boy. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. But you have to do that with such a, a, a level of confidence that I think that if this was half-assed, I don't think I would have been as emotionally attached to when it goes against Sandy like I was later on because I actually. I, I always fall under Matt Smith's spell, and I was like, I was like, oh yeah, no, he is great. Look at him. Oh, this is, uh, isn't it wonderful? Like it'll be fine. Yeah, like I, I forgot that I was watching a horror film. You know, I was like, oh yeah, I'm just watching a a, a great <laughs> performance, and I'm just seeing Jack and Sandy fall in love. Um, yeah. and then you realize that the turn happens. But again, he pulls that off with such effortlessness, and I do think that. Yeah, he's just great. Like I and we talk about it a lot. Matt Smith is in a lot of stuff that I either don't like or just stuff that isn't my cup of tea. And so I'm so thankful that, that he was consistently in good. Yeah, I'm I'm glad he's in something that is very much my cup of tea, which is turns out an Edgar Wright horror movie. So yeah, he's great. But yeah, I guess moving into our actual top three. Um <laughs> we've just spoken about him quite a bit. Uh um I'm gonna leave the other one for you because uh but I'm gonna go for Zach Guilford. Mm. um midnight mass obviously playing riley we've just spoken a lot about how impactful his death was but his whole performance and journey throughout midnight mass um was was just incredible and was definitely the thing that drove the first half of midnight mass and and really helped the show get its weight to begin with um and then he kind of hands the baton over and and i really um just, just absolutely loved his character like you said for for a character that did this despicable you know almost irredeemable thing but you end up kind of humanizing with him and realizing that he is just tortured by this mistake and wants to be a, well it's not even like he wants to be a better person and move on from it he's mm. just he wants to be a better person but he's willing to just um take the the guilt and the pain for the rest of his life because he deserves it he knows that he deserves to feel like shit every night because and 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 even when he gets like the chance of happiness happiness he's like i don't really think i deserve this like Mm. i'm a piece of shit and like he's he's been given that second chance in life that every kind of person who's made a mistake wants but then yeah he just can't get past it like yeah he's like i don't deserve this second chance because i'm a piece of shit and like yeah I, i it's just it really spoke to me and and it was the performance that that really brought it home as well obviously mm. flanagan's script and flanagan's character but but zach's performance was incredible i completely agree and i also love like when these 
big performances happen from people that I've just never seen before. Yeah. And I think that when, when we first watched Horn in the Hill House um, and we kind of got that cast and I remember like um, Victoria Pedretti playing obviously Nelly um, and Oliver Jackson Cohen playing Luke. Like I was like, I love these two actors now and like mm-hmm. anything they're going to, they're in, I want to watch. And like, yeah. luckily we've seen them both in different projects and they've already been fantastic. And I love when that happens because there's already such an amazing pool of actors I love anyway but getting to add different names to that. And I'm like, like I say, with now with Zach Guilford, I'm like, when I see that name on a project, I'm interested. And, you, you know, yeah. we just talked about it last week that he's uh, in uh, Mike Flanagan's other project uh, this upcoming. And I'm like, great. Like, I cannot wait to see more of this guy. He's just so good. Um, but next up is a very fun one um, <laughs> because, yeah, it's the thing that I will never shut up about, um, which is Stephen Vlahos as the voice of Psycho Goreman. Um, so obviously the first time we've ever had a sort of voice performance be be nominated, um, which, again, I think what we said earlier is like so much of, again, we've gone into how much we love Steve and the effects and the characters and the world and everything. But ultimately, this is a story about PG. It's a story about a guy called Psycho Gorman. And I think that if that central character, that central performance doesn't work, it's very easy for everything else to fall down. Like, we probably don't love Greg if Psycho Gorman isn't as good as he is. You know, that's just... Oh, the, I'll the... always love Greg. Don't, don't, well, I know, don't but do you know what I mean? Greg. It's the title character. <laughs> like, I think that everything stems from, from Psycho Gorman. It, it just yeah. does. If Psycho Gorman doesn't work, this movie doesn't work. And I do think that the performance um is so strong the voice performance because of that comedic timing and i think that it's just his back and forth with the kids with mimi is just so strong and again when i think of the one-liners in in pg i think of that voice you know like with the you know not without my hunky boys like it's in his voice um which i think is such a key aspect of it because i'm not just remembering random lines of dialogue i'm i'm remembering the performance of those lines um which i think is a very key distinction um so yeah he, he was just incredible to me I think I think with that, I think one of the actors that I always think of is Nick Frost. Mm-hmm. is a guy that is the best at delivering simple lines in the most comedic time in perfect, you know, manner ever. Yeah. You know, the, the way that he delivers lines in Shaun of the Dead, that line is going to be to a point funny regardless, mm. but it's elevated to a level of it makes me laugh 20 years later because of how he delivers it. And I think I think that's what Stephen does with his performance here with PG. You know, those lines can you know it it feels like it could be an easy job, and it and it probably would land to a to to an okay level. But the reason why yeah. this movie is so high on our list is because of the the elevation of that performance and the comedic timing that that really does get us there. Yeah. Um. And and so that's why it's there. Um. But yeah, I mean. For our male performance of the year, uh, we've already spoken about this uh, already <laughs> as a performance in this category. Uh, Midnight Mass making another appearance, the one and only Hamish Linklater. Um, and I mean, again, like you've already said, kind of when when we go into kind of... Um, Midnight Mass and and we see kind of cast announcements and that. I wasn't like, oh man, Hamish is in this great. I can't <laughs> wait to see what Father Paul's all about, you know. But but now, like now, I've seen this guy in in Midnight Mass. Like he was just 
absolutely incredible kind of playing this father and kind of um you know that role again is a role that can be um just incredibly vanilla just like oh you're playing you're, you're playing a priest okay you're gonna play it this certain way and i think like the level of depth that he does and when he when he's delivering some of those sermons like i'm genuinely moved mm. Like, I'm genuinely, like, if I was in that room with him, I'd become a believer. And just, like, the power and the the, the emotion in his voice. And I think kind of um, as the season goes on and we see his dark side and we see his conflict and everything else, like, I think um, it, it really, that there's not a second that he's not captivating. And I and I think that's why he he gets the edge is that um, when he's when he's on screen I'm just uneasy because I don't know what the fuck he's gonna do and um, I know he's somewhat unhinged and I know he has this incredible power to have people follow him so I'm just kind of terrified by him for the entire mm. season. And I think, and I think that's why you know it it, it landed is is the number one performance. It's such an interesting performance of the character because you have to portray so many different things when you're talking about how kind of like charismatic he has to be to mm-hmm. these people, but then also to us as the viewer know that there's this darker side and this level of like restraint where he's like barely holding it together, and obviously we see that unravel in the later episodes. But I just think it is. It's a performance that I think, like you say, the character is not going to be anything too crazy, I don't think. But his performance just elevates it. And that's something that is obviously consistent with Midnight Mass. Um, And the other thing I love about this as well is um, looking at the previous winners, kind of. We've had John Goodman. We've had John Krasinski. We've had Ewan McGregor. We've had Willem Dafoe. Uh, previous runners up have included James McAvoy, Joaquin Phoenix Robert Pattinson, everyone knows all of these actors, these three that we've got on here now, our winner and our two runners up, I've not seen them in anything ever before, Mm -hmm. and that to me is so exciting Um, and like I say, I've now gained three people that I will be keeping an eye out for their names, and I hope, based upon these performances, that they get plenty of work um, especially in the genre, because I I cannot wait to see all three of them in in other stuff Um, But yeah, moving on to, in in my opinion, what was the most stacked category this year. This was the um, most difficult, yeah. Which is best female performance. Um, obviously, I'd said it before, where I, I really feel like modern horror is really geared towards females, and, and in particular their performances, because just so many of the lead roles are females. And so we end up just getting a plethora of insanely good performances. This This year was crazy as well. Yeah, there's just so many that, like, I mean, you look at our top 10 alone and there's just so many in there. There's so many um, movies that are, like, say, stuff like The Nighthouse on Honorable Mentions, mm-hmm. where it's like, well, well the, one of the best things about that is the lead performance. Yeah. And, and you could say that about, yes, yeah, Possessor, Sound of Violence. Like, these are all movies that weren't even in our top 10 that you could say were all massively. The reason, one of the reasons why we love them so much was because of a lead female performance. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, we obviously obviously had to slim the list down um but we do have one honorable mention before we get into the official names i'm proud Um, of just one 
I know. I have no idea how we got this down. Um, but once again, it is a name that keeps popping up. Um, the name of the show, of course, is Midnight Mass. And the first honorable mention is Samantha Sloyan, um, who, of course, played Bev. And again, you know, almost everything that I could say about um, Hamish playing Father Hill, I can echo here, where on paper, this should be a simple task. And I think it is that performance that just brings this character to life to me. And I, I never knew where this was going to go with her. Kind of like once it starts and you're like, oh, okay, here's this like overly nice person that you know has some sort of dark secret. And I think as they were pushing more towards stuff, I was like, man, where is this going to go? Like, she's going to do some shit. And yeah, like the more she kind of gets involved in the plan and you really start to realize that like, wait, we thought she was being manipulated the whole time. But at, at some point she figured it out and she was really the one that was manipulating it all along. And you kind of like, man, this is just super, super clever. And and yeah, again, the performance was just fantastic. And it was great, again, to see a name who I've, I've never seen anything before do so well. She's truly terrifying as well. Oh yeah, like, God. She scared the shit out of me because yeah. I just, she's just so unhinged. But again, just this power to manipulate people. I think it was when there was the scene when um, it was like the committee meeting in the school, mm. and everyone was against like the messaging and and wanting kind of um, you know Rahul, who we didn't mention in best male performance, probably again due to screen time. Mm. Um, you know, and he was fighting the case and everyone was on his side and the way that she just killed it that that conversation just made everyone go down her path it was terrifying and yeah ever since that scene i was scared of her yeah um but yeah kind of moving on from that um like th this this category was just insane um and and yeah one of our kind of um runners up um is the incredible uh anya taylor joy um last night in soho um i've been in love with her for a while like just just so many different things that she's been in and she's just been great and for me like yeah having already liked her then her just in soho she just is incredible as kind of sandy she is perfect you know, you, you believe her as this kind of just, just powerful female that um, would um, become a star. She should be a star. She is a star. And, and then just gets um, completely chewed up and spit up by kind of Matt Smith's character and kind of um, uh, just, just slowly becoming a shell of herself. And I think kind of just those levels um, is what Anya kind of brought to that role. And she kind of, she smashed everything. I think kind of the second you see her character, you fall in love with her. And, and then, like I say, you, you know that she's special and then just, you feel her pain throughout the movie. And she, yeah, she, she's just, she's just amazing. Um, and, and, and just, you know, when she was cast, I hoped she could deliver on this scale. I didn't know whether she could. I, and, and foolishly, I don't know why I doubted it, because um, she knocks it out of the park.
Yeah, I certainly never doubted it. I think with Anya, my, the thing that's mind-blowing to me is, I mean, her star has already risen, obviously, massively in the last year mm. or so. But to me, I'm almost like, I don't understand how she isn't just the biggest actress in the world yeah. right now because yeah. she, she just has everything. And so I think she's spectacular in everything she's ever been in. And I'm just thankful that we still get to see her in some genre stuff because, mm. like, obviously she, she kind of cut her teeth in The Witch. And then I just thought, well, that'd be it. And we've still got to see her in multiple stuff. You know, we've still got her in the northman uh next yeah. year which oh, is man. great because at some point i feel like we're going to see the next decade of her career we're going to see her win yeah. Oscars. we're going to see her be the biggest you know female star in the world and the horror days will be long gone so yeah. i'm just thankful we still get them um do you, do you want to give us the other runner-up as well in this category uh yeah sure um so uh again uh sticking with edgar wright because <laughs> It's our movie of the year. Um, we've got Thomas and Mackenzie, uh, Last Night in Soho. Um, yeah, obviously her performance is just... It, I think I think the thing about that movie that maybe doesn't land if our lead character isn't sympathetic and just mm. this, this level of innocence and this level of um, just this kind of girl next door the and, and that phrase gets thrown around so much but i think with this character it's so true that she is this kind of just innocent country girl that i can relate to that has that is kind of fish out of water going to the big city and kind of she is out of her element but she's not gonna fucking let it get to her mm. she's gonna she's gonna just smash it she's gonna just stand up to people she's gonna go she's gonna sit in the corner and cry when no one sees her but when people, uh, you know, she will she will stand up and still be heard. And I think kind of um, to have someone, I think it's just her voice. Her voice is like this kind of weak, you know, not not even weak, but you know, this kind of shaky voice, this this innocent shaky voice, but has got strength behind it. And as the movie goes on, it gets stronger and stronger, and you just kind of, you know. You, you're rooting for her fully and then when she does become this strong character that stands up you just um you know you just celebrate it and mm. and yeah you know it, it it was it was a magnificent performance that we needed for the lead of this movie like i said if the lead of this movie didn't deliver on these levels this movie wouldn't be movie of the year yeah, she, she's so brilliant, especially in the context of who else is in this film. Because, mm. like you say, you've got people who have done this for a very long time. Obviously, you know, Anya's relatively new, but like Matt Smith's been around and, you know, other cast members that have been around for a very long time. And I think that if you're coming in and, and you are the lead um, and you're like, you, you know, you might feel a little bit kind of like, well, why am I the lead and these other people aren't sort of thing. And I think that it's it's fully deserved. Like, I imagine this was a role that, Edgar probably cut like um saw so many different people for this role where he was you like think? my because like my leader you know as Ellie needs to be so many different things and like I say from that get-go she just perfectly captures that innocence that you want from this character and those kind of early sequences with the other fashion students where you just don't you're immediately rooting for this character um and I think that's that that is strong because later on in the movie when it does become a much bigger movie when you get introduced to the kind of like okay now i'm in 60 soho and here's sandy and here's jack like i still needed that core to grab onto which is that i gave a shit about ellie's journey um because if it just came about 
like the the glamour and the fun and oh yeah i'm having a good time this is all pretty to look at and it sounds great but then when it goes back to ellie's normal life in the day i just don't really care about her um and i do think that came from that performance i do think like an okay performance in this lead role wouldn't have been sufficient um so yeah i thought she was great and i also love as well that again this is someone who i just wasn't really that familiar with prior to this year and obviously her being in last night mm-hmm. in soho and old um yeah. you know two of our top 10 movies of the year and she was fantastic in both of them um so this is another name that i'm like please put her in more genre stuff because she's yeah. so great yeah don't leave um, this- no <laughs> um and then last but not least obviously the winner overall of this category and uh yeah it's it seems like the fix is in um because the the, the thing that keeps dominating these acting categories is of course midnight mass um purely because i've i guess just i mean obviously all the performances are great um and obviously there's so much of like the long kind of dialogue and it's so character based and character driven um but i'm really happy that uh kate seagull um has won this award mm-hmm. um obviously playing erin because i think that she has been <clears throat> just consistently brilliant across the you know the the flanagan uh film and tv spectrum um obviously you know we've seen her since hush you know she was there the first time when we didn't even know what a flanagan movie was we just saw it because the movie looked oh, cool no. um you know and i didn't know who Over she was day. or her relationship to flanagan or anything like that and it seems like a lifetime ago now and i was like oh yeah she was really cool and then like again great in hill house but maybe wasn't you know the standout for me personally there was you know i definitely think victoria wasn't in, in that season and then you know she's been in you know other stuff bly manor you know very shortly and so i think that for her to really take center stage in this one and i think show off her chops as an actress i i thought she was just outrageously good um and, and like i say there are these emotional beats and emotional moments that even just thinking about it now it gets me emotional and it's purely because of that delivery um and and again it is like those moments in hill house when you are just thinking about these characters and what they've been through and how much you just want them to have a happy ending which in your heart of hearts you know just isn't on the cards and i think that that's what's great about this show in general is that it is it does have obviously fantastical elements and it has a lot going on, but ultimately it's very grounded in the real world. And a lot of the times, a lot of bad things can happen to good people. Um, you know, like I think it's a different, it's a very interesting character to put opposite Riley and how much she does have in common with him, even though she hasn't obviously made these horrific mistakes that he has. She's just kind of been unfortunate in her life and where she's ended up as a character. Um, But yeah, Kate Kate is just so good. And I do think that this is, this fills me with so much happiness that she wins the big one. Cause I think she has just been consistent over the last five years. Great. And I always thought she'd be one of those ones that like maybe was never elite. Um, but she fully deserves it for this performance. Yeah. I think that's the thing for me is like, when I look at her name now, I just, she, she's pretty much like my favorite actress mm. in terms of just, I, she's just consistently good and consistently captivating. And I almost feel like even now, even though she has had this big performance, I still think she, we haven't seen the best. I think like she's, she's just, she's just growing and getting better and better and better. And in this show, um, you know, the Riley death kind of episode, I think kind of, you know, that, 
episode has cemented this kind of this half of this award category. You know, it cemented a runner up for best death, a runner up for best male actor, and then Kate as the best actress. And I think kind of, you know, that it just shows how strong that show was. And then kind of her whole arc throughout this whole story, like you say, she's not um, deserving of what happens to her. Um, She is a victim of just crappy circumstance. And her character is kind of one that you just love so much because you just want her to have that happy ending, but you know she's not going to get it. And she does as well, and it's just so tragic and so beautifully done. So yeah, like like you said, I think um, of of all the kind of awards, I'm I'm so happy that we managed to give Kate you know the the nod that she deserves because she really does deserve from from an accumulation of performances. But it's not an accumulation; it's the standout in Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass. Yeah, for sure. I think what's great as well here is obviously this is um, Midnight Mass winning both the awards. Yeah. Um, and obviously that has happened before um, in 2018, um, obviously for A Quiet Place with John Krasinski and Emily Blunt winning both awards. Mm-hmm. Um, and it nearly happened the year after because Ewan McGregor did win Best Male Performance and then Rebecca Ferguson was a runner-up in Best Female. Um, so there is consistency yeah. here. like yeah. they, um, when you get these kind of, you know, these standout um, yeah. character driven and performance driven things, it just is a showpiece. I think Midnight Mass obviously was like it was just like I say, there are so many names that we're going to not mention here because we could literally list the whole cast in Midnight Mass. Yeah. But it's so ridiculous. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess moving on to best concept. Um, mm. I think with this, we've, we've spoken about these movies quite yes. a bit. And so <laughs> we'll just give a brief kind of. Yeah, what uh, is on concept. Yeah, I'll briefly just go into our kind of honourable mention. It's it's our movie of the year, so mm. we don't need to go into it too much. But Soho is um, last night in Soho is such a great concept. It's such this this idea of London, both now and in the past, that's beautifully kind of executed and and yeah, just an all round great concept. Um, but you know, doesn't doesn't make the top three does just make an honorable mention um but yeah going into our runners up uh um malignant is a one that shocks me that it doesn't win again because (laughs) it and it just shows how strong this year is but i mean it's a malignant tumor that turns into a serial killer uh i think i've finished most most concept (laughs) (laughs) yeah is it best (laughs) yeah most crazy horror movie of the year most concept concept is malignant (laughs) yes Um, yeah i mean need i say any more about malignant other than that i mean that is that is a batshit crazy concept and the execution was exquisite yeah for sure and i think yeah the other runner-up because of course i'm going to talk about it um is of course psycho gorman again everything about that concept about this kind of like little girl who has this powerful tool to to control this intergalactic alien um is just ridiculous and it's an amazing premise for a for an amazing comedy horror so yeah i think it i think it deserves to be on her it's when you get all into the supporting cast and the law of the mm. concept that, that's when you're like, this guy's a crazy person and this concept yeah. is, is shouldn't be in someone's head, let alone on film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the winner and I'm, and you know, we've spoken a lot about, uh, as you said, going into this list, the, the kind of top 
of our of our top horror movies list. And although this was in our top ten, I'm glad it's getting a mention here as well. Um, it is the the um, the crazy concept that is Possessor, um, which is just the blending of sci-fi and horror, and how um, absolutely kind of crazy this concept is, but also how well executed it is. I think that's the thing with sci-fi and kind of why we've latched onto Black Mirror so much over the years and why this is winning best concept because you can have a great concept and you can have a great idea, but when you go into this level of crazy sci-fi, you need to fully understand your concept and then execute your concept. And that's exactly what happens in this movie. Um, It completely um, delivers on the batshit crazy sci-fi concept to, to a level that I didn't, think it, it could and and it you know it it from the opening scene it, it just kind of you 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 understand the world that, that it's in and it and it's and it's perfectly executed yeah I, I completely agree like this is i love the idea of getting the most out of the concept as well like he really mm. goes into the psyche of like okay so if if a person was doing this how would this mentally affect them um and yeah like 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 you mentioned the melding of the two genres is just perfection and i yeah. i'll love anything that is just mental high concept batshit science fiction <laughs> it's just so great sure. um but yeah, next up is again another category of movies which was obviously talked about a lot, um, and we talked about how strong it was this year. Is best sequel slash remake, um, and I truly believe that this is easily the best you know category that this has ever been in the last oh, five for years. Sure. For sure. Um, this is just so strong, and there's so many movies that are in our top ten that aren't even here. Um, yeah. But yeah, obviously the the kind of honourable mention, the shout out would be for One Cut of the Dead in Hollywood for all the mm-hmm. reasons that we've said. I think it is a great sequel to the original, and like it, they are such a great it's a great companion piece to the original yeah, and i think sure. you can watch the original on its own in isolation but if you become the the super fan of it like us then you'll just have watch such a good time of hollywood exactly um but yeah the kind of first official runner-up um is vhs 94 which again they made a great vhs movie and i think that can't be understated to bring it back after all these years after the travesty that was viral <laughs> like again the vhs was in a place that we talk about with a lot of these franchises that like saw is currently in and hellraiser is currently in these these franchises that were brilliant that now suck and they need their moment in the sun where it's good again um and i'm just thankful that we got that for vhs so it deserves to be on this list for sure for sure um and yeah next up uh is a quiet place part two um yeah i think with this one it's kind of it's a sequel that we didn't want and then suddenly it's come out and it's incredible and now we want to see a third one and i think that's the biggest compliment i can give it yeah the um you know you mentioned don't breathe earlier on that this was a sequel to a movie we didn't want and then the sequel was fine and probably a better movie than it is sequel to the to the part of the franchise that it's in whereas a quiet place part two just delivered and when we say it's not as good as the original it's kind of harsh because it because it gets so close at times and it's it's so good and a quiet place part one is one of the best movies we've seen for the podcast period mm-hmm. and a quiet place part two lives up to that hype um and and yeah so so that's why it's on this list for sure um but yeah there can only be one winner um which again is a movie that we've obviously discussed uh, so it's no surprise here based upon our rankings um is candy man 
um and yeah it was a, it was a pretty you know it, we thought it was maybe going to be under remake um but it actually turns out that it was a really great sequel um which again yeah i just i loved all of the callbacks i loved like the return of the setting um and all of that stuff and kind of like the, it, i don't know to me it gave me an, a, a different perspective to that original movie that i never mm. had sort of based around the legend that is Candyman and the lore of it um and yeah it was a great sequel i, I do think as well what's great about this sequel is that for me Candyman is done now in a good way like yeah. i don't ever want to see another Candyman movie because this is like it's it's building upon that original movie and adding the lore and why Candyman is an interesting character and it just tells that story so like i don't ever need another Candyman. like the idea of a sequel to this movie is ridiculous to me it's, <laughs> I just... it's, it's kind of funny as well because it's that this movie is kind of saying well Candyman's inevitable yeah so it's gonna happen again but it's going to happen again, but we don't need to see it on film. No. Yeah. It's weird. Like, but it just, it works yeah. super well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. But moving on to a, a fun one, uh, best villain of mm. the year. Um, so I'll just quickly go over our kind of, uh, honorable mentions. Um, first up, we've just finished talking about him, but it's Candyman. Um, I think kind of with this one, it's the visual, kind of representation of how Candyman looks throughout this whole movie is incredible and the way Candyman is realized but ultimately the movie tells you that Candyman is a symbol more than uh, you know an, an, uh, an inevitability more than a, than, a, than a tangible villain because he will be reincarnated mm. um, and it's probably why it's missed out on the mark because it kind of feels like it's not honoring what the movie's trying to achieve yeah, th this is like a weird category this year, I think, because mm. there, there was a lot of great characters that are stereotypically villains, um, but they like they kind of won in the way they were portrayed in the movie. Mm. It'll make more sense when we go through the whole list. Yeah. But um, the next one is a real fun honorable mention, um, which mm -hmm. is kind of all of the killers from the Fear Street trilogy, <laughs> um, which, again, I, I think I was really pushing for this one. But the, ultimately, the reason why it missed out was because it, it, it's not they're not characters like we're not talking about characters here. We're purely talking about visual aesthetic. And mm -hmm. I really liked the way a lot of them looked in particular when we're kind of in part three in the mall again. And we have like all of when the killers showing back. up and it's like, you just see such a great level of diversity. And what I think is weird is like, ultimately, you know, uh, you know, is it Sarah fear is kind of like the main mm -hmm. villain early on. And then you kind of realize yeah. her story. So it's like, even she's not a villain. So it's ultimately, it doesn't really have a villain. It just has these cool killers who aren't These even characters <laughs> yeah so it was it just felt like it should but it also shouldn't have been on the list if that makes sense <laughs> for sure for sure um but yeah going into our actual top three and our two runners up um i'll uh, i'll talk about it for a change here oh thank god um <laughs> the uh first honorable mention is the one and only pg psycho Gorman. <laughs> I think, um, you know, when we talk about this year and when, when we talk about PG, you know, you've already got a PG mask on the way that's going <laughs> to arrive. You know, he is such a great villain and such a great idea of a villain and, and the way he looks and the way he's executed. He already feels like he's been around forever. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, he, he just feels like a a name that has been been around and and deservedly so and so yeah he he you know i think this category is sometimes filled with um 
returning you know villains and that sort of thing and you know mm. like Candyman getting the honorable mention it's kind of it's cool that they're there but when we get you know genuinely brand new horror villains within the within the world like that is fantastic and pg is 100 percent one of them yeah for sure um the other obviously runner-up was jack in last night in soho um which again i feel like you know compared to a lot of the bigger kind of characters in this one he is such a more reserved character but again just building off of what we've already said like he he is a vital part of that jigsaw and i think that's what's just so key about soho and key why it's our number one movie is because there are so many aspects of it that make it the best movie of the year in my opinion (laughs) and he's one of them it's matt smith's performance as jack it's the the role of jack the reason why he is so ridiculously charming and so you easy to root for you know to begin with and then once you get that turn you're like oh my god you know this guy is exactly like all these other men in this era and i think that that is again on paper he's not the most you know a unique or original character we've ever seen you know it's some pretty basic stuff um but it's basic done incredibly well um and sometimes that's enough and i think like you said this this cat um with with um last night in soho it's pretty much like batting around every category it's applicable for in these mm. these kind of spin-off awards um either as an honorable mention or in there somewhere because it really does nail everything and and yeah, Jack is such an integral integral part of that. And Matt Smith is, you know, like like we said, he's he almost made the actor list. And it's you know he's he's a guy that we've seen for so long, and and he delivered in this role on such a great level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the best villain of the year uh, goes to the one and only Gabriel from Malignant. Um, you <laughs> there know, can only be spoke, one winner for this category. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a serial killer, a malignant tumor. I mean, next, <laughs> uh, but it's not just that, like the way that Gabriel is, is visually, um, put on screen. Like I said, I think, um, he should, um, you know, be a, a horror icon. Um, I want to see the figures, because I think it just looks incredible with with kind of her kind of asleep face one side mm. and the way everything is shaped backwards and the way the way he moves and and just just everything about that character when we get to see that full version is kind of like you said it you know it's similar with with um, the best death in PG with with Gabriel we kind of get glimpses and we kind of get an idea of what he is but then when we get that full version it it 100% delivers yeah he he was easily the best villain of the year for me like he was so creative he is integral to why malignant is so good um and yeah just that whole like contorted backwards body again that's so original when you think about how it's very hard to just have like a person with a knife be interesting Mm -hmm. these days um as we've seen time and time again in, in other movies and so to see something that is still you know he is on paper just a killer with a knife but like that's everything else about the character is the most unique and original thing i've seen where it's like well actually you know he's a malignant tumor on the back of this woman's head and she's kind of like unconscious while he's out killing people um (laughs) and obviously it's from his perspective so he's like walking like the backwards man like it's just it's it's so great it's just it's the great realization of how ridiculous this movie is like the idea of gabriel yeah yeah it's just 
just praise James Wan for coming up with Gabriel because um, yeah. it's just I just see it just when I hear the name I'm like oh yeah I remember Gabriel good times <laughs> um, but yeah and, and then there's only one more category um, which is best TV show um, and yeah if you've listened to any shows this year or this one in fact it's probably not going to be any surprises on this list is there <laughs> no probably not no, so I guess the the one sort of big surprise, um, I guess, is because we haven't talked about it yet, um, is one of the uh, runners up, in fact, um, which is the stand. Um, obviously, I watched it right at the start of the year, and then you watched it more recently, mm-hmm. um, and I really liked it. I, I don't think the last episode is too great, but I think the rest of the season is really strong, and mm-hmm. I thought it was one of my favorite versions of that. You know, we've seen so many post-apocalyptic things these days, um, but I just really liked their take on it. I thought there were some really awesome characters, again, ridiculous performances. Like we always say, it should go without saying, but again, I always want to give credit to these fantastic actors um and the fact that we're getting again that level of quality actor in like a horror tv show like that's just the norm now and like what a great world we live in and that's just the norm um but yeah it was awesome it really was it it was so unique for a king adaptation i thought as well because i do think he has a lot of like conventions of you know usually it's like a child you know cast and and all these different things of you know coming back to this small town and this this evil that lurks with him whereas this was a very a more different take on a Stephen King uh, novel, I thought. But yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the thing is that um, it's the ensemble cast that's so great. And then the, um, the you know, it, the final episode does let it down a bit, but the whole kind of build up prior to that is so good. And also um, any Skarsgård is, is a good Skarsgård. So yes. that, that also, that also kind of bodes well for it. Um <laughs> But yeah, I think kind of it pains me that this doesn't win, but <laughs> you'll see why when we get to the winner. But um, there's always next the, year. Yeah, the other runner up is the incredible debut of Chucky to the TV world. Um, you know, as this show started, it started off good and it started off, you know, interesting and, and in a really fun place for just a, a you know, the Chucky is making great kills and we're in a brand new world. That's fun. But then when we actually got to see the world building and we got to see the, the mold and the way it blended the movie franchise. And when we got the continuation of cult of Chucky, it elevated it to a level beyond what I could hope for. Um, to the point that it, it really was one of my true highlights of, of this year, you know, mm. this weekly thing that I just became, so excited to get my hands on and and every week delivering it, it really was special and um you know don mancini for 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 getting it into the tv world and pulling it through i'm just so grateful and and getting that cast back together um it, it really is something that i didn't think would ever get and i uh, to, to, to this level you know, when it was announced and when it kind of was going through all this hell, it just didn't seem like it was ever going to fully become what it is because, you know, it's for so few people to this level at this point, because you have to be truly invested in it all to get the true realization of it. You know, I, um, and I think that's the thing that, that I appreciate because I'm there, I am in the hardcore. And so I really appreciate it. 
Yeah, I think the biggest question mark was like, can they do it? Can they transition it successfully from film to television? And the answer is categorically yes. And I think that's fantastic. And yeah, as like, as obviously huge Chucky fans, I just adore the show. I think they get it right. And I think to me, what's so wild is when you think about all the old kind of horror icons, like it's mad to think that Chucky is one of the only ones that is actually done right these days. Um, because if, if you thought back then, you'd never think like, oh, yeah, it's 2021. Chucky is still great and it's still done well and still has that same energy. And like the reason why Chucky was great in the original Child's Play is still true today. When you think about how just like terrible and mishandled so many of those great characters are nowadays. Um, it's I just I'm happy that Chucky is still in the right hands. Um but yeah, of course, there can only be one winner. Like, we've talked about it so much now, obviously, with the acting categories, that it's no surprise that uh, Midnight Mass was our best TV show of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I guess what's worth noting is just, I, I guess, a special shout out to Mike Flanagan for his for sure. ridiculous output. Um, <laughs> because not only has he now won this award twice um, for Haunted of Hill House and Midnight Mass, as well as being featured on our top 10 list three times. Um, so that's five different entries in these kind of best of shows which is just mind-blowing when you think about it that he's just he's consistently there and he's consistently putting out some of the best stuff and obviously with tv shows he's put out the best show both those years um and i adore the show the most consistent guy since we've started this podcast yeah hands down it's ridiculous like he is the one guy that can do quality and quantity and i don't know i literally don't know how he does it um he has some sort of time turner i'm convinced of it um but yeah and i think the only thing with midnight mass is like i i adore the show and i still don't know what my favorite flanagan show is it's like this and hill house serve such a different role in my head that like i re i just don't know i i genuinely couldn't pick a favorite I i love them both for completely different things um and i'm i'm more in tune with what this is because obviously i'm not a huge kind of like ghost guy um but i also think that that's like the best i've ever seen of that so yeah it's 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 a good problem to have that i don't even know what my favorite flanagan show is i agree it's tough i think for this though this is the one i'm just more in love with Mm. i think um you know when i I'm really happy that this and Soho get paired together as the best two things of the year because both of them, when I think of them, I just think, oh, that was beautiful. Mm. Just beautifully made, just just incredibly, incredibly made and just acted and sound and just everything about it. And I think that's the thing with, with um, um, w- you know, with Midnight Mass is that it just it captures all of that and the combination of it all. And I think kind of when it, when it finally got to the final episode and just all of these characters, and when you realize that just all hope is gone, um, it's, it's so good. And each character figures it out kind of at different moments and kind of most accept it. Some are unwilling to accept it to the last second. And it's just so great. And it's just, I don't know. It made me think, Uh, I don't want to get too deep, but it just, it really made me think so much about different aspects of life and kind of death. And clearly that's what Flanagan wants you to do in that movie, um, a TV show. And like, it really did. And it does to this day. And I think it will kind of cement things that, that will, that will stay with me for a long time in that respect. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. Another worthy winner, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, on to our listener picks now um, to end off the show. Um, obviously, we wanted to uh, find out what your guys' favourite movies of the year were, um, and some of you got in touch. Um, so yeah, this first one is from Kat, um, who says, uh, Hey, you fellas, just a note to let you know my top movies of the year. I haven't been able to go to the cinema, but thank goodness for home streaming, uh, which makes me glad to say that Malignant and Candyman take my top spots for 2021. Biggest disappointments were Spiral and New Mutants, both of which I had high hopes for. Uh, but the fact that I'm only seeing them now kind of says it all. A real shame, but all better than last year. Um, a big uh, TV recommend currently showing on Shudder is the Boulet Brothers, uh, Dragula. Uh, horror, filth, and glamour are the key words. It is absolutely filled with love for all three. Uh, judges have included many notable horror names, and practical effects are brilliant. Uh, also, the Golden Seesaw Prize for Best and Worst TV goes to American Horror Story Season 10. Um, Red Tide, Episodes 1 to 5 was stunning. The rest, nope. What the fuck happened, Ryan Murphy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't on our list, even though we did quite like the season but yeah definitely wasn't up to snuff was it with the yeah, others definitely if we had a seesaw prize it, it would have got that for sure yeah um but yeah well hopefully you'll uh get back to the cinema in 2022 cat but thanks for the feedback uh yeah nice to see yeah. malignant and candy man on there as well for sure. definitely definitely um yeah next up we've got uh sean smith uh with his uh top 15 of the year um little comment before which is hello matt and mike uh thanks for another great year in podcasting with shb it was awesome to be able to get back to the cinema this year what a great year it ended up being i'm pleased to share the best of the year for horror in 2021 uh thanks and have a great holiday season and his top 15 um i guess i'll uh, i'll start at 15 and go down yeah. to one uh so we're 15 martyrs lane 14 the trip 13 <clears throat> halloween kills <laughs> uh 12 demonic 11 don't breathe 10 oxygen 9 old 8 the wonderful saint maud uh 7 resident evil we- welcome to raccoon city number 6 our number one last night in soho Number five, The Night House. Number four, Titan. Number three, Antlers. Two is A Quiet Place Part Two. And number one is Malignant. Mm. Getting some more love from the listeners. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of movies a lot of movies there that obviously we, we share the love for. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of our top ten, in fact, is the same. Um, yeah. Also, yeah, love seeing St. Maud on there. Um, yeah, and obviously Titan on there, which I'm very mm, jealous about. Very One of the movies that I uh, really hope I get to see next year. Yeah, um, and a couple, a couple of movies that we didn't get to see either. Which yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the lower ones, Martyrs Lane and The Trip, we didn't cover either yeah. of those. Um, and Oxygen, I really did want to see as well on Netflix. So I might have to just randomly watch that over the holiday period. Um, Maybe because obviously that was uh, Alexandra Adja, who's always good. Um, yeah. So, yeah, thank you very much for that one, Sean. Um, Next up is from Kyle, um, who says, uh, I'd say my most memorable horrors of 2021 would be Malignant, Halloween Kills, and Candyman. Uh, Loved all three a lot. Malignant was just a crazy ride. Halloween Kills was more a return to the formula, uh, the shape just going on a murder spree. Also really enjoyed the part where the hospital made the mentally ill man kill himself. I should have said spoiler alert, I guess. Um, (laughs) It's it's all all valid at this point. It's been practiced all episodes. Yeah. 
He said, and Candyman was a beautifully shot film that was able to expand on the original in a wonderful way. Honorable mentions goes to Antlers, uh, only because I haven't seen it yet, but I'm uh, super excited to, and I'm sure I will uh, enjoy it when I have seen it. Um, I love the show, love you guys, and can't wait for more shows in the future. Um, so yeah, thank you very much, Kyle. Um, again, there's already some consistent films appearing, quite a bit. Yeah, obviously definitely. Malignant, but a lot of love out there for Halloween Kills, and I, I do yeah. like to at least, you know, give a fair representation here that we uh, obviously didn't like it, but loads of people did. So, Oh, and I wish I did because, you know, I, I just want to like these things, but yeah, Malignant and Candyman love to see uh, it getting some nod- nods. Yeah. So thanks a lot for that, Kyle. Uh, next week, next up we have Joe. Um, hi guys. Hope I'm not too late. My list this year is as follows. Um, starting in at, at number seven, we have here uh, number seven, wrong turn. Number six is Spiral. Number five, Halloween Kills. Number four, Conjuring Part 3. Number three, Willy's Wonderland, which is a movie <laughs> that I'm surprised didn't get talked about by us, but yeah. it just missed out in, in a lot of different ways. Um, number two, Woman in the Window. And number one, Don't Breathe 2. Um, and Joe just adds to that. Um, I've not seen A Quiet Place Part 2 yet, so can't place it. Next year, I'm planning on going toe-to-toe with you guys and see all the ones you do as the year has been a washout for me and horror, well, films in general, to be honest. So I'm looking forward to Joe uh, going toe-to-toe with us next year. Yes. Let's go. Yes, I definitely think there's some movies that you need to check out, Joe, um, because, mm-hmm. yeah, there's definitely some, some obviously a lot of our top ten is not in there. Um, but, yeah, with Willy's Wonderland, like, Nick Cage was definitely the one that was the latest cut in that category. Yeah. I know he we had him on our best male performance for a while just because of while. how it was such a fun performance and it was so different to a lot of the other ones as well. Um, but, yeah, it was a really great time. Um and then lastly, we have one from Cody, um, who says, uh, good evening, Super Horror Bros. Uh, I want to thank you again for making such a wonderful podcast. It has made the pandemic and the last two years more endurable, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who shares that sentiment. But, uh, before I give you my uh, top movies of 2021, as well as the flops, I want to ask you if you guys have ever considered making a podcast Discord for your show. Sort of like a hub for you guys to, uh, for you and your fans to talk, share media, etc. Might be worth checking out. Let me know if you guys need help setting it up or if you want to do it. Um, yeah, I'm definitely interested in that, Cody. And like I say, if there's any of the listeners that are listening that would also be interested in this, definitely let us know. And then we'll, I'll, I will, I will speak to you, Cody. Um, because yeah, I've always liked to have that place where, especially yeah. we have a lot of these long-term listeners and obviously we have people contribute in different ways. Obviously we're mostly on Twitter as our kind of only, so only social media platform, and obviously through emails, but it probably would be good to have like another option for people to just chill and, and talk. Yeah. We've, we've flirted with the idea of a discord before. And I think, um, yeah, if other, other listeners kind of um are interested in it as well if they let us know then it's definitely something we could look to set up in 2022 definitely um but yeah cody's uh, top 10 horror movies of the year in no order um is fear street parts one two and three um which is really great to see um next up he's got lamb which is another movie we didn't get to see i don't even i don't think that came out over here um Uh, old um willie's wonderland again so two two uh (laughs) yes i I knew cody would have that one on there and i'm super (laughs) glad he did um another one for titan uh, again which is very jealous for people obviously in the states that have already seen it um Candyman, uh, a quiet place part two and peninsula as well on there Mm. um 
his worst 10 horror movies of the year is Halloween Kills 10 Times. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not make that up. <laughs> um, honorable, I, I mention, <laughs> honorable mention to Resident Evil. Um, this movie just missed my list for the fact that they made Leon act like a moron, which is against his character, although it was a pretty good film overall. Great practical effects, but it felt like they just tried to put too many things in the movie. Um yeah, which we completely agree with. Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much for that one, Cody. Um, like I say, it's always great to hear from the listeners. I do like that, obviously, there's the consistent movies. I think most people that have seen, like, Malignant love it. Um, and then, yeah, there's definitely ones, like you say, Halloween Kills, that wasn't our cup of tea, that was other people's. Um, but then also, yeah, shedding the light on these other movies that definitely we were fans of. But like you say, Fear Street, Willy's Wonderland, these were yeah. great movies, but they just there just wasn't a place for them in our list, sadly um include them all exactly but uh yeah that is it for the year for 2021 like what a year it's been it's been a massive return to form in my opinion like i think this is you know it's so much better than last year which should go without saying and thankfully it does but i think when i look at our top 10 list now to me 2019 is such a standout and i do think this rivals that like i really don't know which 10 i would take um 2019 was just ridiculous with us with midsummer free from hell dr sleep it was it was a crazy good year and i really do think this rivals that um, i think this list gets consistently stronger as we get down to like the six seven eight part as opposed to other years that you know this this really is uh, an incredibly strong list from top to bottom um but but as you said it's a uh, it's most importantly a true return to horror in all aspects kind of at the beginning of the show you touched upon how it's you know it's more cinema than last year but it still doesn't mean the other platforms have suffered and it's just been it's been consistently strong and it's what i said earlier that the movies have consistently delivered pretty much everything that we were looking forward to or just interested in or involve people that we liked you know more often than not it delivered this year and that's what makes me really happy yeah there was way more hits than misses which is fantastic and yeah you look at the big names edgar wright delivered james wan delivered m night delivered like that is awesome in and of itself and again delivered yeah exactly and then, and then looking forward obviously to 2022 i mean we have Jordan Peele returning. We have Robert Eggers returning. We have potentially an Ari Aster movie that may or may not be a horror movie. Like there's, there's some massive names next year as well, which is fantastic. Man, but um, crazy. yeah, looking forward to it. Like I say, this is our last show for the year. We will be away for the holidays and then we'll be back in January. Um, fingers crossed that one of our first shows of the new year will be covering the new screen movie. Oh, please, please. <laughs> But yeah, as we both said, it's not looking great in the UK right now in terms of uh, non-essential stuff, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. I, I honestly think it would be a miracle if cinemas are still open come January. Um, I unfortunately share that statement. I will be surprised come January the 1st or January the 2nd if cinemas reopen. But, you know, if they're still open, yeah. Yeah, let's hope and pray, because otherwise it's going to be a weird situation. I feel like we were all in it together when it happened before with kind of like mm-hmm. movies being shut down. But if we're in a spot where, you know, it is getting a cinema release in the States and we just happen to wait for like on demand for every film. ugh, don't even want to think about that reality. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed. For, for us, but it will also be a tough year for the podcast. <laughs> so, Definitely, you know, yeah. it will be doubly tough. 
Yeah, strap in for a lot of... Uh, if that's the case, we might just go like every other horror podcast and just talk about old movies exclusively. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was it. Hope everyone has a great new year and we will see you in 2022. Uh, thanks for listening, as always, in our longest show ever, by the way, which every is insane. Year. <laughs> every year it gets longer. I don't know how we keep doing it. I am exhausted. I need a rest. Uh, thanks for listening, as always, and we'll see you again very soon. See you later, everyone. Through my veins and travels to my head, they said, You'll die soon enough anyway, shut up, I can't. Mainly because I never could, and how could I start now?